This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are, well, off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Austin Wong is here to talk about wizards and bank robbers with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and Heat. Welcome! Thank you for inviting me again. Yes, thank you for coming back. Yeah, I always love it. Maybe next time we'll actually be able to record in person again, possibly. (laughs) I hope so. I don't know if you want to come into my absolutely sweltering apartment or not. Um, Hopefully, maybe we'll come in winter at some point, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to see other people in person. I just want to see other humans. (laughs) I know. Well, the lockdown is over as of today. Yes, and we just Um, went on a patio, so that was remarkably lovely. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm going to have a picnic in the park with my friend and her kid uh, tomorrow. Nice. So I'm looking forward to that. I haven't seen them in a little while. Um, and then I'm supposed to hit up a patio on Sunday. I'm slightly afraid of seeing that many people on one weekend, but I've got my first shot. I take my precautions very seriously. Yeah. So I hope everything will be okay. I think it'll should be fine. I, you know, outdoor transmission is, I think, quite low. Yes. Yeah. With the wind blowing, taking all yeah. the germs away and stuff yeah. is, is great. Um, so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this weekend for sure. That's good. Me too. Mm. I feel like it's such a long time coming. Like when they said that we could do patios again, we could meet again, like in, in outdoor settings. Like I was just so excited. Like we've got a play date for my daughter. Like we have all these things. And then the, the patio, like my favorite restaurant is at the top of my street. Mm. I followed on Instagram and they said they were open. And I messaged him and I, he said, I said, are you open? He said, yes. And I ran. <laughs> You're like, please let me in. I must, I must sit here. Yes. <laughs> but it was glorious. It was even glorious. Just like there were quite a few people there, but the tables are spaced out and, you know, it's outside and everything. I, I felt very safe, but it also felt mm. so unusual to be hearing the buzz of other people at other tables and Mm -hmm. just being outside and the sidewalk was kind of buzzy too it was just I just thought it was lovely it's such it's such a nice change it finally feels like we're going to be able to get back to normal at some point yeah and it's not going to be so quiet anymore you know Yeah. yeah because even like I'd go for walks and stuff and you'd see like two people like cars would be passing by but there'd not be a lot of people outside and it's true you don't hear the buzz of other chatter or anything like that and so when you do you're, you're just looking around like oh my god what's happening it's very strange <laughs> well we've been having a stay-at-home order like we are the I think we are the city I read somewhere that Toronto is the city that has been in lockdown the longest out of any city in the world really yeah. oh wow okay well, I mean, to be honest, the last time they lifted the lockdown, a bunch of people did a bunch of stupid things at Easter and yes. had big family get togethers and all that kind of stuff. And a whole bunch of people got sick. So, yay. Yeah. Um, so that was super frustrating. Uh, super so that might be part of it. But also, I think uh, there are some other cities that are just like, eh, do what you're going to do. So well, look at the states. Like, I, I really am wondering what will happen in the states because they are fully open, you know, like Vegas. I think was a hundred percent last month or in the last what? couple of weeks. Like I'm yeah. watching YouTube videos because it's, I'm morbidly fascinated, but like, it's literally like the crowds are, you have to elbow your way through. Like, it's no. just, 
it's crowded, crowded, crowded. And they said that uh, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. And all the messages from the YouTubers are, you can go mask free. So nobody, like occasionally will mention if you're fully vaccinated, but it's just, they're taking it at, you can just wear no mask. So 65% of people are not vaccinated in the States and that or some number like that. And so they're all lying. So it's, yeah. I, I wonder what will happen. You know? I mean, to be honest, uh, even when I'm fully vaccinated, there'll probably be a bit of a curve before I start going just maskless. Like there's definitely going to be a curve totally. because if I pass like more than three people on a sidewalk, my mask is on. Like, I'm just like, no, you're too, you're, you're getting too close. Yeah. I've passed too many people. My mask yeah. is on. Like it, even if we're outside. Well, we're conditioned so, for it now. And I feel like I'm, and I'm uh, double vaxxed right mm -hmm. now. So, you know, I feel much safer. I feel very relieved, but I am still wearing a mask. Yeah. Um, well, how was the second shot? I heard the second shot's the worst. It was actually fine. So I did Pfizer. The first shot was totally fine, but I heard the second shot is really bad. And so I was prepared, mm -hmm. but I got it in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I felt kind of sleepy, mm -hmm. you know, a little tired, maybe a little foggy. Like I wouldn't want to drive, but I mm -hmm. didn't feel sick. And then by evening, I, that kind of faded. And I just had some sort of arm sensitivity around where the injection site was, but by the next day, it was completely normal. I felt normal. Like Nice. Okay. Fine. That sounds like the first shot because that's what happened to me. The first shot, you know, um, my arm hurt a little bit. I was a little foggy for like two or three hours. And I was like, eh, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, my arm hurt yeah. for like a day or two. I think it's not bad at all. Like, I, I mean, I guess I have read that there are people that have a really bad reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother-in-law actually got, she felt quite sick after it. So she definitely had a reaction. But, yeah. uh, but Tommy and I, we were fine. Nice. Okay. See, see, yeah. everything's good. People get your shot, get your shot. Get your shot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I must admit getting ready for this episode was more uh, unpleasant than getting the shot. I will segue that way. <laughs> <laughs> you found it. Was it because you didn't want to rewatch the movies? Um, I a did not want to rewatch these either of these movies. Um, and then when I sat down and watched them, I was like, "Oh, this is why." Gotcha. Um, so I was really hoping, like, once I put them in, I'll be like, "No, no, I'm gonna find some whimsy or good acting or just something's gonna make me like, you know what? It's not that bad." I was wrong. <laughs> uh, Both and these. Both of them. And these are long movies. You know, the Harry Potter yeah. is two and a half and Heat is over three hours. Yeah, I did not realize that they were both this long. Like, I, I kind of remembered that Harry Potter was quite long, but I didn't realize it was two and a half hours until I was watching it. Because I was like, my God, it's there's a lot left. And, you know, I think of kids' movies as being 90 minutes. I think yeah. of kids' movies because, like, my daughter's five. I kind of think, well, that's, she's probably too young for Harry Potter, but she's already watched the first one off and on. But I just think that children's movies are usually shorter. So I was surprised at how long Harry Potter was, but I've never seen Heat. And uh, so this was actually my first time watching it. And I, I was not prepared for how long it was. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but I liked it. I actually yeah. liked it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. curious. Like, you own them. How come you own them? Did you used to like them and now you don't like them anymore? No, no, that's not what it is. So with Harry Potter... Um, so a few of the DVDs I have in my collection are actually hand me, well, hand me overs, not hand me downs. Like my brother was just like, I have these, you want them? And I said, okay, Harry Potter was one of those. I know that for a fact. Um, whereas Heat was one of those things where I was like, I've never seen it, 
I'm told it's good. Yeah. Hey, it's $10. I'm going to buy it. And I remember watching it the first time and feeling the exact same way. And I was thinking, you know, maybe I was like, you know how sometimes you're in the wrong place in your life or the yeah, wrong the time, or maybe you're too young, you don't understand it, or maybe it was that I didn't watch enough films like this before, but no, um, no, I don't so, think any of that was, was the case in this. It's, it, yeah. I so you really, it. you really dislike, so what do you want to talk about first, Harry Potter or Heat? Well, let's do Harry Potter. Let's get people hating me out of the way because <laughs> fine. Um, to be honest, I know a lot of Potterheads. They they love it. They, I have friends who've got like uh, tattoos, like the what is it, the triangle with the circle and the whatever, and lightning bolts and whatever. So um, and so I have a lot of tangential knowledge about Harry Potter. I've never read it. You've never read any of the books? None, none of the books. No. Oh. And I will tell you why, and it has to do with this movie. Because the books came out, there was a frenzy about it. Because the frenzy about the, the books took quite a few years to actually like build up, right? Because right. the popularity of these books were purely word of mouth initially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they started making the movies. And then I had started working in a bookstore. And all of my interactions with the crazy mothers had turned me off of reading the books. <laughs> you know and then the movie was coming out i was like you know what i'll watch the movie and everybody who saw before i did was like oh my god this movie is just like the book it's so good it's so this it's so whatever and as a person at that time who didn't know anything about it besides harry potter is a wizard i was like you know what if this movie is good and this is just like the books i'm gonna read the books that'll be fine then i watched the movie this movie is so it's bad. It's a bad movie. Oh my god! <laughs> it's it's got horrible character introductions. It's uh, choppy and disjointed. Um, it's a film that's made for people who've read the books and know all the the stuff that's behind it. And so certain things just don't make sense, you know. Like like, uh, uh, like for example, there's a scene where the kids um, fight the troll, right? They yeah. win, and then the, the teacher comes in and is scolding them. It's just like, you know what? Five points for Gryffindor. And I was like, five points for Gryffindor? What the fuck does that mean? She says <laughs> it at the beginning of the movie. No, she yes, what she are you talking does. about? She no, does. Uh, McGonagall, at the very beginning, when the students show up, she says, your, your houses will be like your families, and everything you do that's good, you'll win points for your, ha your, your house. And if you do something... If you break the rules, you'll lose points for you. She says that at the very no, beginning. she does not. Yes, she does. I sat there. I was paying close attention. No, like, I fully do put down my phone, made sure I was paying attention because I was like, <laughs> I need to pay attention to this. You weren't paying attention. You were not paying attention. You were, you were sitting there hating it. You were sitting there hating it. You weren't paying attention. But the thing is, I knew about the points going into this watching of it because right. my friends have talked about it, you know, and like yeah. all of the, the passages and what the philosopher's zone is and, and sorting hats and all that kind of nonsense. <laughs> and like, I sat there watching it. And I was just like, I know this is Chris Columbus and this is supposed to be whimsical. It's so whimsical. It's so whimsical. It is not whimsical. Oh my God. It's it nothing but whimsical. It's, it's the definition of whimsical. It's so whimsical. It's okay. literally so magical, like this little boy and all these things happen to him and he's 
so you know the acting is whatever like they're kids like i think mm-hmm. hermione overacts they all kind of overact i think harry though is pretty good at you know looking sincere and looking kind of, yes he, he looks is. he looks confused the whole time he just no, looks confused but he's also confused because he was raised by abusive aunts and uncles his whole mm-hmm. little life under a under a staircase and then he's he, he's learning about the wizard world while we're watching so of course he's yeah. confused like it's a crazy world like if mm. you were plucked out of your home and sent to hogwarts and then you're seeing all manner of wizards and witches i think you would also be confused so i don't know i mean you know you can everyone can have their own take on the acting i mean <laughs> certainly with kids i usually give them quite a bit of slack because they're kids and you know it's it's hard to to be supernatural, but I thought they did a cute job. And I mean, partly, you know, I've sort of watched them over the course of all the other movies. And it's interesting to sort of go back and watch how they were as kids, because, mm-hmm. you know, now I've seen them in, in projects where they're adults and they're actually all good actors. Like, yes, all they are. I agree. Yeah. They're, they're in very interesting and unique projects now, like mm-hmm. especially Harry Potter. Like Daniel Radcliffe has done some very interesting sort of challenging dark work the swiss army man oh my yeah. god i and love that movie like he does really yes. weird movies and like i saw guns akimbo like a couple years ago at tiff i hated it i, hated I that thought one. it was super fun <laughs> i liked i liked the idea of it and i yeah. think and i think with harry potter that's the thing like the idea is there well, i the get there. Yeah. i get why people like it Okay, like I, I understand. I need it so much. Yeah. But, but the other thing, I mean, I feel like also, like, it is kind of like a kid movie in, in a way. Mm-hmm. But I've always, even when I was a kid, I was very fascinated by the whole macabre thing, like the sort of dark, spooky kind of stuff. And Disney does that a lot. Like almost every single Disney cartoon has a pretty scary scene at some point. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's a the part with the ghost. He's, he's like um, almost headless, whatever. Almost headless. He's like... Yeah. He like moves yeah. his head and you're just like, oh. It's gross, but it's sort of fun, right? But, yeah. but there are enough kind of, I thought there are enough fun things in the movie that are very light. And then they go into sort of pretty good set pieces that were, I think, pretty scary for a kid. Like mm-hmm. when they go to try to find the stone and they go through that whole thing where they see Fluffy, the three-headed dog. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty scary dog. Like it's a really big, mm-hmm. growly dog. And they act scared, but also the movie has a light touch where they kind of make little jokes about it afterwards. Like it's not framed like a terror kind of scene it's yes yeah. it's whimsical right it's whimsical but <laughs> <laughs> but then like and even when they go into the forbidden forest and you know they see the unicorn has been killed and Voldemort is sucking off the blood of the unicorn and then yeah. he's scary and then sort of swoops his way over that's mm-hmm. also very spooky and I thought you know very atmospheric and well done for a kid's movie to bring those kind of spooky scenes in mm-hmm. I I really like this movie like I feel like I, I mean, I'm a Harry Potter fan. So the other thing I think we need to talk about, which I think you, it's interesting, like one of the other episodes you and I did was we talked about Annie Hall. Yes. And we had to talk the sidebar conversation about, you know, how do you even appreciate Annie Hall in a world where Woody Allen is who he is and there's yeah. some controversy about him. And now I feel like, I think we have to have that conversation as well with Harry Potter because of, jk rowling and what's happened right like i mean her her crazy anti-trans stance which you know at the very beginning i was sort of hoping that she just was misquoted or she didn't understand something i can't even remember what it was but Mm -hmm. she just kept doubling down 
And she just kept making more statements to the press and on her Twitter. And, and I mean, she's basically, she's a lost cause for me now in in that regard. Like, I I feel like there's really no defending her. Like she is truly, truly anti-trans. Like there's no other way to say Well, one thing I think not just me, but also fans of hers don't understand is that her books are about finding who you are and becoming who you are and being your best self and having people accept you for who you are. Right. right. And then, but like, even I'm not a Harry Potter fan and I heard what she said. I was like, how can you write books like this and then think that way? It just doesn't make any sense. It's it's mind boggling. Like, honestly, like, and you know, until she kind of revealed who she was in this way, I mean, the gay community has been very, very on her side, like b- before this event, just in general, mm-hmm. because she's always been mostly on the gay people's side. Like she, like I remember reading all sorts of tweets that she would send off and to Piers Morgan or whoever was saying something against gays or some slight against gays. And mm-hmm. she was very supportive of us um, as a community. Um, I'm gay for people that don't know, but I mean, anyway, so I, 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 I've always liked her partly because she was an ally for the gay community. And like when I read the books and everything, like it's very clear that she's making all sorts of very obvious analogies of people that are different and how society shuns them and how, you know, you need to just sort of embrace who you are Mm -hmm. and be, and find a community that accepts you for who you are. And like, that's obviously a very easy analogy to make for anyone who finds himself, you know, gay and in an unsupportive family environment yeah. and then finds a community. Like it's mm-hmm. like Harry's situation with his family. Like so many people can relate to that on different levels, right? And and her books and the movies themselves have always had, you know, quite a bit of diversity just in terms of ethnicity. I mean, I think people have a view on that sometimes as well. But I mean, you know, there's... Parvati Patel, there's Cho Chang, there's like a lot of regular students there that were not, they were not all just white. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like she always seemed to be a huge advocate for all types of diversity. So I, I was very, very disappointed and very floored at her attitude towards the trans community. And I, I mean, she tries to defend it by, you know, saying that it's because of her own sexual assaults and she's afraid of men. And but she basically refuses to accept that trans women are women. She still thinks they're men. Yeah, but I don't understand what that has to do with her sexual assault. Because she's saying it's the whole, ugh, it's the whole trans people in the washroom thing. So she's saying that she would be triggered if she was in the bathroom and a human came in with a penis because it reminds her of her sexual assault. Yeah, but most trans people if they go into a bathroom, you wouldn't know they were trans in the first place. And statistically, I don't think there's really any cases on record of mm. a trans woman actually assaulting a cis woman. Like I, I it's don't usually, think that, Yeah, it's, it's usually not, the other way around is what trans they're women are among the most targeted people in the world. Like mm-hmm. trans people are among the most brutalized, the most murdered, the most like they're they are so targeted. So to so turn them into a community that's preying on cis women and therefore you, they shouldn't have any rights is, yeah. it's crazy on so many levels. It's hurtful and, and yeah, horrible. Yeah, I, think it's, so I think it's really sad. I mean, like she's, she's essentially saying, yeah, be who you are, unless you're trans. <laughs> unless like, you're, but like yeah. if, if you're going to tell people be who they are and be the best version of themselves, you can't tell them 
you know, until a certain point. Like, there's a difference between being like a serial killer. Like, that's that's yeah. a little different, you know. But like, you know, if you feel like you're a woman, or if you feel like you're a man, but you were born the other, well, a or if killer, you, yeah, or if you feel yeah. like you, you know, you're not you're not in the right state of mind or you don't even feel male or female, whatever. Well, they feel like they're not in the right body or they feel like yeah. they're not like there. And there's, you know, and it's, it's, it's a very complex thing. And I won't even pretend to understand everything. Exactly. Yeah. Ones, but, like there are so many terms coming out all the time that I think are being coined to try to capture even more of the spectrum of all that's there. And mm. I think, you know, as humans, we've been, you know, stuck on these very old fashioned binary terms for years and years and decades and decades. So it's gonna, it's a, it's a learning process for everyone. And yes. it's a shame that she sort of relegated herself to the dustbin of the past because she is not willing to sort of really truly assess her own values and what she's taken as truth mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of consider whether she's wrong. And, you know, everybody's had to learn about lots of different things. So, I mean, you know, also, you know, as a cis white woman who's incredibly wealthy, like she doesn't have hardly any of the struggles that, you know, a lot of her characters do and that a lot of the people that like her books relate Mm -hmm. to. And I think she's just becoming more and more detached from them. I mean, I think when she wrote these books, she was very much there um, and she had a different understanding. Um, and now that she's quote unquote above that, um, she's just like, ah, we'll leave them down there. That's where they belong. And you're just like, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's not, that's not how this works, you no. know? Um, and uh, like, she's, she doesn't understand why she's being so heavily shunned. It's because you, no. you've lied to us. You've, you've, you've told a whole generation of people and their parents who also got sucked into it and all the kids after that is okay to be yourself and then all of a sudden you're coming up going like no 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 yeah. i didn't i didn't say say you can be yourself exactly can be themselves not you it, it's 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 really it's really 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 sad and it, it has it has me like so i used to um like i, I really do like the movies and i've read the books too but mm. it's it's been challenging because like I used to rewatch these movies on a, a pretty regular basis. Like I just feel the urge and I like the soundtrack. I, I like the progression of the movies. I feel like, mm-hmm. like they start off very light and then they increasingly get darker and more adult as the kids grow up. And mm-hmm. I actually find it as a series that holds together very well. But when this whole stuff came out about JK Rowling and all the trans stuff, it made it difficult for me to want to watch these movies again. Right. I just, I, I had, I, so until this podcast, I hadn't watched it for a while. So I was sort of revisiting it again. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I just have to say, like, I feel like the work, I think work does sort of stand on its own. It's sort of similar to what I was saying with Woody Allen. It's kind of, you know, he's made some great movies. Um, and like I said this before, like, you know, a lot of the great famous artists in time, like, Picasso and like Monet and like the like Manet, like there's a lot of if you read the history about background of some of these, you know, they were all assholes. They're, yes, they're assholes. Yeah, just putting it they're out assholes. there. Like I mean, you know, and I don't obviously condone any of that kind of behavior, but I think that our world would be bereft of a lot of great art if we had to cancel every single artist or creator that would be now deemed problematic because mm-hmm. that's 
you know, it's human nature and sometimes horrible people can create wonderful art. Um, yeah. And, and that's plus, the sad part, I think. Yeah. And the movies too, I mean, they're based on her books, but you know, most, I don't think these movies, like she really had a, a hand in them. I mean, they're her characters, they're her story. She's all over them, like the genesis mm -hmm. of, but also all these other people put their time. And I mean, people like Daniel Radcliffe and, um, and Hermione Granger, Emma Watson, like, yeah. um, they're such allies. They're such, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've followed some of them on social media. Sometimes I've seen headlines, like they're very supportive of different groups, mm -hmm. like all of them. And, you know, it's a shame that they are now associated with someone that's so bigoted, but they themselves in their movie is not like, you know, like you can kind of turn yourself into pretzels and I guess everybody can make their own choice. Um, I've watched this movie so many times in my life and other, the other movies. So, I mean, I'll probably continue to watch it from time to time, but mm -hmm. uh, just because it's, you know, I, I still like it, but it is a shame this whole thing. The yeah. thing that well, I think it's yeah. great that the kids are all living up to their character that she created yeah. um, because, you know, Hermione, like, I'm sorry, like Emma Watson is fully Hermione. Like she just is like, in real life, you know, she's an overachiever. She's a book type A, she's outspoken. Yeah. Outspoken and she's, she's doing it for all of the right reasons and stuff she says, like, you know, she goes to the UN, does speeches about women's rights and all this kind of stuff. And it's, and it's awesome. Like she's great. Um, Daniel Radcliffe is out there. He's just like, he's like, I'm being the best me I can be. I'm yeah. just going to do it. Yeah. And if you want to hate, you can hate, but don't hate people because you're a selfish bastard. Yeah. You know, like he's out there, he's doing it. And, and they make statements against JK Rowling as well. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I, and I think they're, they've done the right thing by doing that. Um, but I, I find it, I, I do find it sad. Like I do find it sad when that happens. And yeah. like, like, I hope, you know, like I, I, I really hope that, um, even though I'm not a fan, I hope the message of the stories kind of keep yeah. going. And I like what uh, Daniel Radcliffe said as well. Cause he said, you know, to anyone that cherished, the story or the movie or even the books or whatever and found some hope in it and and it spoke to you and it helped you through something or it helped you find out who you were as a person that's still true and that message is true and that movie mm. is still there for you and it doesn't matter what jk rowling said that's she is not the movie and the message is not her so you know what i mean like trying to say that people that were devastated because mm. they had some people that found solace in these books or the movies to now be confronted with this like it was really nice that he was trying to say you don't have to feel that way you know because the message is still true yeah I mean, it's hard for people to necessarily feel like and act that way but like for me it's 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 disappointing i'm not like i'm very disappointed in her but i mean when i watched these movies like i was like older than your target audience of like i wasn't a child when i watched mm -hmm. the movies and so when i watched them i actually enjoyed them but i i you know i wasn't obsessed with them or anything i just really i enjoyed them and i hadn't really revisited them a lot and then i kind of became more of a fan actually when i had my daughter and uh when we first brought her home and she's a tiny little baby and we took turns sort of staying up almost all night because she had to be fed every couple hours and just kind of watching her and rocking her and all those things so when it was my night and I was just rocking her and trying to get her to sleep or um, I needed something to do. So I would mm -hmm. start, 
I just started putting on the Harry Potter movies just to rewatch. And I, something about that type, that time when I rewatched all of them over the course of, I can't remember how long it was, like in the middle of the night with my baby. And I was so happy just because I was so happy with my baby. So mm-hmm. I was kind of on an emotional high anyway, but I was also kind of tired. And then I started watching these Harry Potter movies to sort of kill time. And they just, I just was really res- receptive to them, I guess. And mm-hmm. I just, I loved them. I loved them more watching them with Maddie as a baby than when I'd seen them before. And I think that's when I started really liking them. So then it almost reminds me of that time. So Okay. So what you're saying is you were sleep deprived and delusional, so you like them better. Gotcha. That's actually true though. It's true. It is true. More suggestible, totally. Yeah. I mean, as you know, like I love kids' movies. I love animated features. I love like I enjoy kid stuff. It it just makes it just makes things lighter and easier, especially when I'm in a shitty mood. Yeah. You know, watch a kid's movie because it makes you feel better. Like that's just what they do. Except yeah. for the movie Up. I'm sorry. You know that movie? <laughs> it's still it's just freaking heartbreaking. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> the first 10 minutes are so heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, first 10 minutes are heart- heartbreaking, then the middle of the movie happens, and you're starting to feel a little better, and then the end happens, you're just like, my heart's broken again. What's wrong with you? Why, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> that movie's because not really for kids. It, it's not. It's not. Um, but it's a wonderful movie. Just don't watch it to make yourself feel better. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't even know what I was talking about. Um, but yeah, like I don't know it is, it's the tone of this movie. It is, I actually don't mind the score. Actually, at first I thought it was- um, I love the score. I love it so much. I, at first I thought it was, um, what's his face? Um, who does Williams. all of the, um, yeah, I know it's John Williams. I, I think of the guy that does the Tim Burton movies? Yes. At first, that's what I was listening to. And I'm just like, oh, this is very- There's not enough tuba uh, for the two to be in. That's true. But like, I found uh, how they use the music in the movie very distracting. Um, You're just heartless. (laughs) But I like, no, but but this is what I'm saying. Like, I liked the score. Yeah but it was like too loud or they put it in the wrong places or something, but I found the music distracting. See, Um, I I associate it so closely with those movies that I find it kind of comforting and I I like the music. And so when I watch those movies and like, and you know, like that, that score, the John Williams score, it's only really all over the first, I think two or three movies. I can't remember now, but mm -hmm. they they switched to different composers after that. So, Like Prisoner of Azkaban, I think has a, I think that's the first one maybe, I can't remember, but that definitely has a different composer. And then I think the rest of them have different composers too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the music is quite different because the movies are quite different. But um, that that theme, that dun, 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 that like, I think that's the Hedwig's theme or whatever, like that, 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 um, that part of the theme they use in every single movie. Yeah. Um, just well, because it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's like, it's theme song, you know? It's like the theme song, like yeah. the Star Wars, like, any, yeah. like it's recognizable. So they'll thread some of that theme into the other scores. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the other movies, like, it's not the same music. Yeah. Well, I've only watched two other Harry Potter movies. And You've not even seen all the Harry Potter movies? No. Okay. I have, don't, don't get me wrong, I have tried, okay, 
because every year since all of the movies have been out on New Year's, they play all of the Harry Potters back to back for like three days. I know. And I have sat down, <laughs> tried to watch the movies. I cannot do it. That's really interesting. I that's really I feel like they're quite well made. Like they're they're you know, it, and this one, like I feel like I, you know, they do so many things in this movie to set up sort of things that will be there for the rest of the movies. Mm-hmm. Like the way Hogwarts looks, the way the dining hall has those floating candles, the way mm-hmm. like, they have Quidditch, the way they have, like all these things that are sort of iconic things in Harry Potter. Like they kind of establish them in this movie. And I felt like watching it again, I remember thinking, you know, I probably was quite amazed. Like every time they showed one of these new things that this is amazing and like so much wonder and- Hold on, sorry. Of- I gotta sorry. I gotta stop you because okay, okay. I gotta ask a question. Did you read the Harry Potter book before you watched the movie, or did you watch the movie and then read the Harry Potter book? Honestly, it's so long ago. I don't even remember. Okay. I, I, I've read all the books and I've seen mm. all the movies, but it's so long ago. I don't remember what order I did it in. Okay. Well, I'm just. I'm literally just asking because everyone. I knew had read the books. So when they watched the movie, they're like, oh, that's the thing. And that's the this and that's the that. And so they were like, oh, you know. So it was like, it was like a homage to reading. So I'm I'm trying to figure out if maybe your connection to those things is more to do with the remembering it in the book and now it's on screen. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, 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 I don't remember. But I think that I probably watched the movies first and then I read the books later because oh, I don't, okay. I wasn't like dying to read the books. Like when they were a big popular thing, I remember like, I, you know, at that point, I can't remember how old I was, but like those were kids books. Like I wasn't dying to read kids books. And mm-hmm. then, and then of course adults were reading them. And I, I just, but I, I, they also seemed really long and I just don't think I would have rushed out to read them. I think I read them later. Okay. Well, no, the first book's very short. It's the last two books that are like bricks. Oh, yeah. Well, they keep getting bigger and bigger. I read yeah. them all and I remember one of them. I thought, my God, this does not need to be this long. And they're always <laughs> just wandering around a forest yeah. looking for horcruxes. But this is, but, this is what I thought about this movie. I'm like, this no, this movie, they never stopped doing things. Like they were constantly <laughs> doing things and he was learning about things. Like, like there was so much stuff happening. He's, he's like, sent to live with this horrible family and then he's rescued from that family and he's learning about the school and then he's learning that there's this mysterious thing in the in the basement and then they're fine they're trying to figure out where that is and then he's learning about Voldemort who killed his parents like so much plot this did not drag at all I'm shocked shocked at your reaction I have another question Okay, okay so um uh who does Alan Rickman play uh he's on all Snape Snape so Harry Potter goes to the school. They're having their first meal. He's uh, part of um, Gryffindor. Gryffindor. And then uh, Snape looks at him over his shoulder and they have like a weird look. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's, cre- he's, he's a creepy man. Okay. Yes, he is a creepy man. Fine. But my question is, they barely have interaction and there is barely a- any evidence besides the fact that he is creepy. But automatically, Harry Potter's just like, he's trying to steal the Philosopher's Stone, or he's, he's trying to do this, or Snape's doing something. And you're yeah, just like, but why is he doing it? He could just be a weird old man. 
maybe, except that he's part of Slytherin and he's told by Ron Weasley that not a bad wizard that turned out bad did not come out of Slytherin or however we put it. And then, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then when he's in potions class, Snape is mean to him. And I can't remember what the other thing is, but is it the Quidditch thing where they thought Snape was trying to kill him? Yeah, but that was after. They, or- they already thought, they already suspected Snape at that point in time. For no reason. It's be- no, there was a reason. It was because it was only a professor that could. They now, knew it was a professor. They knew it was a professor because Hagrid had told them that the professors knew about stone, and they were protecting the stone. And no, they- no, no, that came after Hagrid admitting about the stone came after they had already they already suspected Snape at that point. Ugh. You know, yeah. you're, you, you should ask Hannah because I'm sure she will have the answer. <laughs> but <laughs> no, because the thing is, okay, because there is clearly a certain step missing in the movie that is in the book. There has to be a reason why that they are automatically suspecting Snape of being bad. Now, I'm watching the movie and I know Snape is quote unquote, if you haven't watched the movies or read the books, it's too late, I'm gonna spoil it for you. Snape is a good guy, okay? So I know watching the movie, he is a good guy, fine. But he's and, undercover as a bad guy. And he's undercover as a bad guy. And he's, he's kind of surly and whatever, fine. Alan Rickman plays surly and rude really, really well. Yeah. Every time he was on screen, he was not in this movie enough. I loved every minute of him, Yeah. Fine. But at the same time watching this, I'm watching it and I'm just like, until the part in the Quidditch tournament, he has not done anything to indicate that there is a plot afoot. Like, he's done nothing to indicate that there is a plot afoot. I mean, you know, I watched it, I didn't think of that because I know that... I know everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it's hard to go back to when you're learning the plot from the first time. You're, yeah. you're just going to, your mind's naturally going to fill in the blanks for things because you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's a whole in script. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm going to give that to you because I can't remember why mm-hmm. they get Snape. I can't, re- I can't remember. Yeah. I just watched it yesterday. I just can't remember. But, um, <laughs> You know, I will. I will give you some criticism. Like the, the movie is not about criticism, and I think a lot of people, even maybe even especially diehard Harry Potter fans, I think mostly they dismiss the first couple of movies that are mm-hmm. with the kids as bad movies too, because they're kid movies. But I actually really like it. I like the way it hangs together. I think it moves along quite quickly, and I think it establishes a good sense of place. And I think the kids do a good job. They're cute. Um, but I will say the one thing that I've never really loved in these movies are the Quidditch matches because I feel like. It, I hate, I don't really like sports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find that it's just thrown in there. It doesn't really add anything to the plot. Every single time, whenever the movie would be at footage, I would feel like I could fall asleep because it's, I just don't yeah. care. But then really this time I was watching Harry Potter learn about Quidditch. And I think the sport itself is severely flawed in the way it's conceived mm-hmm. because it makes no sense. Like nope. they have all these different balls. They have all these different players. They have all these different goals, all these different complicated rules. But then Harry Potter is told that I don't need to worry about any of those things. All I need you to do is catch this you know, this golden snitch ball. And when you catch it, that means the game is over and we win. So what's the point of the rest of the players? Like, why isn't it just two people trying to catch the snitch? Because like, literally it matters not at all. Because like when I was watching it this time, 
like there's the suspenseful first Gryffindors in the lead and they get up to 20 or 30 points and then Slytherin does some things and now they're up to 30 points, but they're climbing like 10 points by 10 points by 10 points. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's this nail biter between because it's 20 and 30, now it's 30 and 20. But then Harry Potter goes and catches the thing and they say a hundred thousand points to Gryffindor. <laughs> Gryffindor wins. So these people are getting, they're deking out like flying balls. They're trying to knock in each other on broomsticks. They're, they're, they're throwing things through hoops. They're, they're guarding things. They're putting in all this effort for measly 10 points a time. And Harry Potter just grabs the thing and he gets a hundred thousand points yeah it obviously makes no difference nope. what they do for the rest of the game nope. so it's a stupid game it is it i agree with you it doesn't make any and that sense. scene in the movie was way too long it was it, too long it was and so long i yeah. think that the whole there's a i guess the people that make harry potter just love quidditch and that's the one thing i don't agree with i, I find it ridiculous it doesn't make any sense it's boring. You're, you're not going to join like a Quidditch team and go play. I am not going to join a Quidditch team. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have like colleges that have like tournaments against each other and Quidditches and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, they can't. It, that doesn't make any sense. You can't have bodgers in real life. There's no balls that fall around. and Yeah, but no they run around with a broom between their legs and they throw a ball at each other. I, I mean, <laughs> no. what are you going to do? <laughs> Well, good for them. I just don't get it. I don't think. <laughs> but okay, that's the one thing I'll say. I think is kind of stupid. But mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I think it's a really. I think it holds up. I feel like it's quite timeless because it looks like a fairy tale, and it's like you know, it's it's not of this world. It always looks mm -hmm. like a bit of a fairy tale, so it doesn't look like super dated to me. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Really? They're wearing robes. They're in. I know. I get it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I just <laughs> thought it was all like, what's like, maybe it's answered in another movie, but the whole scene with like the centaur and he's like in the woods with a deep voice or whatever. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Why are you here? Well, that, that was not a confusing scene. He saves Harry Potter. He lives in the forest. He saved Harry Potter. Yeah, but it's still like 10 minutes. Why is it like 10 minutes? Because he's a magical creature. He's a magical creature that saved Harry Potter and tells him a little bit about Voldemort. Yeah, but you're not supposed to save Voldemort. You're supposed to say whom shall not be named or whatever. I know, but yes. he says it. Did, did, you, did you at least like the character of Hagrid, who's just such a fun, cute character? He's fine, I guess. Oh, come on. He's <laughs> so good. He's such a fun character. Like when he's talking and he keeps trying to keep secrets and he keeps ended up telling them all the secrets. And then when <laughs> the early conversation, when uh, I just thought this was funny this time I was watching him because uh, he's telling Harry about Voldemort for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's going, uh, he can't bring himself to say it because nobody says that name. And Hagrid's like, it's Voldemort. It's Voldemort. And then Harry says, Write it down. And here he goes, I can't spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did laugh at that line as well. Yes, I did. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like, there's things in there that are cute and I, and, and like interesting, I, I guess. He gets the invisibility cloak and he goes in the stricted books and he almost runs into oh. Phillips and, and then that book is screaming and then all their classes, they have their fun little spells and, mm -hmm. Like See, so the scenes, the scenes with the cloak annoyed the shit out of me. Why? Because, 
every time he walked into a room, he'd be like, huh, and just throw it off. I'd be like, why? Why are you throwing it on the ground? What is happening? Why is it just like on your shoulder as you walk around? Like, I don't, was, you know, every, every time he walked into the room, he's like, nobody's here. Huh. I agree with you. I agree with you. I didn't really notice that until this time I was watching it because like, you know, when Ron is like, oh, those are really rare. And so it's clearly quite a valuable thing. Yeah. And we go into that one room and he just throws it on the ground. <laughs> I did think that what it's rare. It got you here. How are you going to get back? Like, yeah. Oh. And he just like walks away from it. I'm like, what if somebody walks in and you're? Yes, right. I agree. Doing? That that drives me crazy. Yeah, that was driving nuts. But yeah. people in movies do that all the time. They dramatically just throw things on the ground and then yes, they, do. they walk away from them and they don't seem to care if they'll ever get it back again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and it, it also annoys me in those movies. Yes. Like I never understood the whole like you're running and you're shooting at somebody, you run out of bullets and then they throw the gun away, and I'm like. Can, no, it's not can, disposable. <laughs> if, 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 if we're getting into things that bug us and now we're getting into trope category, I have an entire list of tropes I hate that it's now pages and pages long. And I think one day I'm going to post the whole thing on Facebook just to see what the reactions are. But yes. one of the things I hate is like, and this happens in almost every show I've ever seen that has like a bad guy. They're struggling. The bad guy is a gun or a knife or some weapon and the good guy is trying to escape. And then somehow the good guy knocks out the bad guy by throwing a rock or something swings from the ceiling or whatever. He somehow, the guy passes out. Yeah. And then the good guy, rather than picking up the knife or picking up the gun, just runs away. And then the bad guy kind of comes to eventually and then picks up the chase. And then they're back in the same position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And screaming, why don't you pick up the weapon? <laughs> yeah. You're safe if you pick up the weapon. Like, why would you leave the gun in his hand? Why yeah. would you leave the knife in his hand? And like, I've seen this so many times and it was like on Netflix too, like that Outer Banks show, like that, mm. that it happened and in you it happened. And every time like, pick up the knife, pick up the knife. And they don't. And yeah. sometimes to their death or sometimes, and it just makes no sense. So anyway, mm -hmm. that's, that's neither here nor there it doesn't no happen. no that's no because one of those is going to come up in the next movie that just made me so angry throughout the whole thing <laughs> like oh god i have to remember that one i will bring it up don't worry oh. but uh but yeah I, I don't know like uh oh um yeah i actually have very few notes about this movie even though i watched it straight on the whole time <laughs> clearly and i was just i was just not into it okay so my first question is so wasn't the wasn't the book originally called sorcerer's stone instead of yes stone? and then the, it was it, the book was originally called the philosopher's stone mm -hmm. like in the uk the edition the original is harry potter and the philosopher's stone okay. but when it was published in the u.s they thought that it was too hard to say or that people wouldn't understand philosopher. So they changed it to sorcerer's stone. Okay, sure. Yeah, that just seems weird. But then for the movie, they, they went with philosopher. So, all right. Because, uh, I think it was a, wasn't it um, made in the UK? It's oh, that's, yeah, I think, I think it was made, made in the UK. Yes. Um, so gone with their source material. Yeah. Uh, also, the uh, fat cousin is the guy from Queen's Gambit. I have not um, watched Queen's Gambit. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Dudley's yeah. in Queen's Gambit? 
he is in Queen's Gambit. Yeah, as soon as I saw the kid's face, I'm like, that I know that guy. I know, and it was one of those, you know, when you recognize a face, but you can't yeah. place the face. Yeah. And it took me like half the movie to f- figure out where Let I knew him. Google it. Because <laughs> I'm better than that. You okay? are better than that. <laughs> and then is I was he like, a good, Queen's is he Gambit. a good guy or a bad guy in the Queen's Gambit? Um, he is he's a man. Okay. Put it that way. Like he he <laughs> like he starts off as like I'm I'm a humble man and you can love me and I will love you. But then he's an ass. So okay. he's a man. Uh, so he's not he's not trying to be evil. He's also not that good. Right. He's he's a man. Saying no uh, Yeah, that's all you gotta say. Um and then I had a question. I'm like, doesn't England have child services with keeping him under the stairs and abusing him? Well, you know, I gotta that? say too, like I mean, you have to think about it as a fable, kind of like Grimm's fairy tales or whatever, where they have the, you know, Snow White, also Cinderella, also like yeah, they but all they didn't. They, they did not have child services back then. No, but I mean, you're not. They're not really interacting in the real world. Like, yeah. you know, this is. I, I have the same thought though. You know, as a parent, I have to say, um, it does. It even like when I rewatch it, like. It's so awful how they treat him. It's it's obviously pure child abuse. Like mm-hmm. they threaten to not feed him. He burns the breakfast. That he they they treat him like a servant. They he has to live under the stairs. Like mm-hmm. he, they're awful to him. It's obviously child abuse. But it's also like Roald doll books. Like there's always horrible adults and yeah, it's kind of like I just sort of see it in, in that vein. That kind of heightens kind of fantasy, kind of exaggerated evil parents, the kid triumphs kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, like, because even the part where they go to the aquarium at the beginning, like, they don't hide the fact that they're mean to him. They just start no. yelling and screaming at him in public. Oh, but like, he, I mean, they're horrible people. They're horrible people. It's not realistic, though. I mean, when I all those letters fly through and then um, they, so- they, get all, they get all mad and they said, we're going away, they end up on this weirdly, completely... Connect, disconnected from anywhere, piece of rock with a house on it. Like, how did they get there? How did they know about it? Like, I was, how? I was so confused at the beginning. I was just like, oh, like I thought this was like a dungeon. They were like, they were showing when they cut to that scene, and then they go in the house, and you're just like, oh, that's their vacation home. What the fuck? Like, it makes, what? yeah, it's it's really weird choice. Like, it makes no sense. <laughs> There's uh, like actually, really brutal waves all around. Like yeah. how they voted in. Like it, 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 you know, and when you look at them, like they're these like, you know, suburban people with no, like there's no way they would have battled the waves to get to this rickety. So it, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, no. you have to think of it as a fable in that way. But I agree. Those are, they are terrible people. They deserve to be in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They actually reminded me a lot of, I know this came quite a bit later, but the Lemony Snicket series. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, that kind of like uh, feel totally. and look to it is what it well, reminds me. I'm sure me. that that series was inspired by Harry Potter. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, well, because they did the the Jim Carrey movie before as well, which I actually really liked, and I'm surprised they didn't just do all of the movies like they were gonna do. Um, a lot of people didn't like it. I didn't even read the books, but I liked that movie. That's so funny. Fine. See, I tried to watch that movie and then I mm-hmm. couldn't finish it. And I like Harry Potter and I thought this would be kind of similar. Oh no, it's a lot meaner. It's a lot like it's 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 actively supposed to be meaner. Right. Like that's the whole point of it. Um, but yeah, no, it's much meaner than than Harry Potter. Yeah. Right. Cause it, like that movie is more like 
you're 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 living with Harry Potter with the horrible people, not not going to Hogwarts. Not going to Hogwarts. You're just you're just there under the stairs. Staying with horrible people, right? Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's closer to that, you know. Um, So yeah, no, I can understand that. That's fine. Um, But yeah, my my first thought was like, okay, this is fine, Uh, and they're just weird. Okay. Um, also, I noticed uh, Warwick Davis was one of the goblins in the bank. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that, like, even through all his makeup, they kind of like kept most of his features. I'm like, yes, Warwick Davis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then John Hurt uh, showed up in there. Which one was John Hurt? I noticed the credit. He's, Is he's he the, the one hunt guy. He... Yeah. No, yeah. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. That guy. Um, and I was like, oh, yay, John Hurt. I like John Hurt. Um, what else? They have a lot of really good British actors in the series. Oh, yeah, there's tons. Like, like, well, even the Maggie Smith is amazing. Like, they're all like they have, they have some very amazing actors all through it. Well, even the, the ghost guy is the Monty Python dude, John Cleese. John Cleese, there you go. I couldn't remember his name, and I was just like, hey, it's John Cleese. Yeah, was and later on, Emma Thompson shows up, and mm-hmm. um. Well, throughout the whole series, like tons of people are in there. Tons and tons of people, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a remarkable cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that frustrated me close to the end is when you see Voldemort, Voldemort come out of the back of that guy's head. He has a nose, and I was just like, I thought he didn't have a nose. But that's not even his final body, right? Like, that's just, he's just latching on to a body. He's just a spirit. Mm-hmm. So as spirit form, latching on somebody's body, he had a nose. But it's also probably just the design. Like at that point, they probably hadn't yet made the movie with Ray Fiennes as the fully formed Voldemort. So. Oh yeah, he's credited as somebody else in the credits. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that's just like they changed their mind on how he's going to look. But at yeah. the but at the same time, like it isn't it isn't the Voldemort that you see with Ray Fiennes, where he actually has claimed a body and he's growing his body, like. That is before he has anybody. Like he has to l- like latch on to that other, like Quero, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So I excuse anything in terms of how he appears because he has no body. He's just a spirit, and that's how it manifests itself. Yeah. The the two things I know, well, the three things I know about Voldemort is he has no nose, Horcruxes, and um, uh, Slytherin. So when I was like, <laughs> he's got a nose, I was so confused for a second. So it's funny. Fine. These are the three things. What is is it? Like seven Horcruxes or whatever? And Harry's one of them. And, you know, there's like a, like a necklace and a something. I'm not going to tell you. You have to watch. (laughs) (laughs) No, the thing is, I have been told this many times and it just falls out of my head. So, yeah, it's fine. And I love that my last note on this is I am annoyed by this movie. That is literally my last note. Oh, you're so funny. It's so surprising to me. You love all that. Like, honestly, I I really enjoyed watching this again. I thought it was such a cute little movie. I thought it was very magical. Oh, also, Dumbledore at the end was so mean to Slytherin. I know they're supposed to be the bad guys, but how he did that was cruel. It is true. It it is is true. Like, he, he basically lets them celebrate. And then he changes it. He's like, and I'm going to take that back and I'm yeah. going to give it to somebody else. But I kind of love it because they are so awful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think I think if the delivery of the points was better, like, you know, 
um, you know, they're at this, this many points, but I'm going to give these points out, which means they're actually at this much, which is higher than these two. Yeah. You win. Fine. Okay. But don't be like, oh, and the winner is these people. But yeah, no, no, you're right. I won't argue with you there. I mean, it's obviously done for dramatic effect in the movie mm -hmm. to make the sad beat and then surprise, you actually win. But it's so arbitrary, right? He can just it's decide. Very arbitrary. And yeah. he doesn't like the Slytherins really. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it is, you know. But I don't understand, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having the good guy lose in a harmless way like this in a film like even for even for a kids movie because you know you have to realize that you can do everything correct and sometimes it it doesn't work out yeah captain picard for this piece of uh, uh great piece of uh advice um, because, because it's true. Like you can do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like you're supposed to do and still fail. But in, in a case like this, where it doesn't really have a big effect on anything, why not have them lose and be like, you know what, next year we're going to do better. And then well, that's disappointing. The it doesn't feel celebratory. It's a, it's a you want to celebrate. I, I hear what you're saying though. I, I mean, I agree. I mean, that is an important lesson. And I want mm -hmm. Maddie to learn that too. I don't want her to feel like you have to win or else you're a loser. Like you yeah. have to. And I also don't want her to feel like, you know, if you try really hard, you will win because sometimes you won't win, right? Yeah, yeah disappointment um, is a part of life. And it's not always something that they do in movies. So that's not a bad idea. They usually mm -hmm. have heroes win and the bad guys lose. Yeah. And, and this uh, is, and I think like, and I think that's one of, the problems with a lot of films is like by the time you get to the end no matter how beaten up or broken the the hero is you're like oh he's gonna win anyways what else? i think things like, are changing though i feel like i've seen a lot of bad endings lately like what like what give me something well, I, i've got to watch it i don't want to tell you because it will ruin the ending oh that is true actually and because yeah. i didn't okay. expect it to end that way so mm -hmm. if i tell you then it's ruined it for anybody that happens to be listening okay never mind don't tell me. You can you can you can randomly text me sometime. Be like, hey, watch this movie. It's great, and I'll watch it. And I'll be like, oh, it happened. Well, now, now I'm gonna have to text you a whole bunch of of decoys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm prepared. Uh, so okay. last so last movie about Harry Potter. Uh, last question. Sorry about Harry yeah. Potter. Um, I have done this in the past several times because, as you know, I have a lot of Potterhead friends. Yeah. What house do you belong to? <laughs> I belong to Gryffindor. Ooh, look at you. Ooh, I know. Yeah. I am Hufflepuff. Oh, I always yeah. liked Hufflepuff. They're, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're kind and friendly. <laughs> Yay, I'm kind and friendly. Uh, well, the funny thing is when the first time I did and I found that out, I was just like, the fuck is a Hufflepuff? And of course, <laughs> everybody had to explain everything to me and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, Hufflepuff sounds like a pushover. Like, they're not really pushovers. They're this and blah, blah, blah. It's kind. a good thing. I mean, they yeah. value being kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm a Hufflepuff. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's all I got. I thought my husband would be a Hufflepuff, but it turns out he was a Ravenclaw. Ooh, what's Ravenclaw again? They're like smart, bookish. They value intelligence. Ooh, okay. That's I don't really think good. that's him. 
No. But, I mean, he, he likes all those things, but that's not how I would characterize him. Okay. Well, I mean, I think people present that aspect of themselves a certain way. I mean, maybe he loves you for your brain and you didn't really know. Maybe that's you know? why. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. It's not just your sexy body. Oh. <laughs> that's what I've been counting on. That's what I've been assuming. I mean, look at all these looks and that those glorious man locks you're growing in these <laughs> I days. I not playing with them. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. Okay, well, should we move on to heat? Uh, yes, we can. Uh, the three hours of ugh. Yes. I can't believe you own it and you don't like it. Um, I understand well, why, because yeah. you, just, you just thought it, you've heard good things, but. That's exactly what it was. And I know I've only watched it one other time. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, that's, I felt the same way last time I watched it. Um, do you like crime movies though, or detective shows, or do you like the genre? Oh, like like procedurals and crime dramas and thrillers. Yes, yes, I do. Um, I don't like gangster films. Uh, yeah. They're they're slightly different. I agree. Um, but I because because I find gangster films are a glorification of something horrible that was done to people in this like quote unquote classical meaning fantastic way. Um, and I don't enjoy it. It's just like it's just like um, war movies or like horror that's based on like real serial killers and stuff. I'm just like, I, I don't like, need. I'm with you 100. I don't like I don't love like mafia movies. I don't love uh, war movies, and I I also don't love real life serial killer movies that are being sold to us as, enter as entertainments. Like yeah, I that, yeah. It's it's but disrespectful this is not and horrible. Any of those things. This is like a procedural of fictional characters. Mm -hmm. He's not a mafia person. He's just nope. like a seasoned criminal. Mm -hmm. And the cast is amazing. Like Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Ashley Judd, Natalie Portman. Like as a kid, Val Kilmer. It's like it's it was a really great cast. Like I mean, like I said, like I've never watched this movie before until I watched it for this podcast, and mm -hmm. I thought it was like when I was watching the credits at the beginning with all the people come up, I was kind of like, wow, wow, wow. Like I was like, and I have to say, I thought it was good. I thought it was actually really um, good and intense the way they had sort of, you know, Robert De Niro's sort of slick criminal. And then, and then Al Pacino is this sort of weathered sort of troubled cop. And they're both on these collision course pat parallel paths or not parallel, paths, like paths to each other. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that, you know, and it, it's a pretty big normal setup. I mean, it's similar setup to Catch Me If You Can with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. He's always, yeah. you know, way one step ahead kind of thing. Um, but then this time it's more, you know, there's criminals. I, what, did you know that it's based on a real story? I did not know that, no. So I did not know that either, except I did enjoy the movie. And then when I finished it, I Googled and it turns out it's based on um, real life story, a, a book by this guy based on Al Pacino's character. I can't remember his name, but mm -hmm. it's based on the life of this cop who actually did sort of pursue this, this career criminal that was like Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. And they actually did sit down and have coffee with each other and had a very similar conversation apparently that is in the movie. And then the next time they saw each other, they did draw their gun. So it was kind of a similar build art. up. So it's, yeah. it's actually, it is sort of based on a real story, which I didn't realize. But um, I thought it was good. Like, and I found it interesting that, you know, 
Robert De Niro is so good at his job as a bad guy, um, as a as a as a thief, and the way they timed everything, and he has his little crew and everything. I thought it was really like I do enjoy a good heist, though. Like I like mm-hmm. watching Ocean's Eleven and that kind of thing, like where they're trying to get away with something. Um, and I thought there was a fun aspect of that to this, where they kind of you know timed things out. They had a plan. They're you know it's like competence porn. You're watching people do something well, mm-hmm. um, and then. You know, he is quite brutal. Like he was willing to kill this person. Like he's, you know, he's not a, a killer. He doesn't want to just kill people, but when he has to, he kills people. So I like that they established sort of his character very easily and quickly. And I thought Robert De Niro did a good job of being sort of charismatic, kind of shifty, but also sort of sympathetic, even though he's clearly a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I found myself rooting for him to get away. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because you, you kind of want him to have a, a good life. You kind of know that, he's going to screw it up when he's all set. He's home free. He's with his new girl. They've got money. They are in the clear. They're going to get away. And then last minute, he changes his mind to go and try to kill that one last guy that he's mad at. Yeah. And of course, such a terrible decision. And you know, he's not going to get out of it. Like, even though I hadn't seen the movie before, I knew that that was going to happen. So it's a little tropey, but Mm -hmm. it was true to the character. Like it kind of, you know, well, I mean, he's he's the kind of person who's like, you've done me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Yes, yes. And that guy caused the death of his whole crew, well, except yep. for Val Kilmer, yeah. um, and all his troubles. He's got to give up his whole life where yeah. he is, he's happy, um, and, and now go. And it's because this guy was an ass. We had him on one job. He freaked out and killed somebody because he's a psychopath, and you've, now you've ruined everything. So yeah. he, he's, he wasn't leaving it up to that guy at any point in time. Yeah. I get it. Um, but, but also, yeah, sorry, finish your thought. No, I, I was just going to agree with your whole analysis about Robert De Niro. Is, is yeah, what I was do. but I was going to say, too, that um, and at first I thought, like, what are they doing with this character? Because, like, he shows up at the beginning, pops up their little heist. Um, De Niro wants to kill him, and then he gets away, and then you don't really see him again. And then when he pops up again in that really creepy scene where he murders the child prostitute, which I didn't enjoy that at all. Um, And then you kind of don't see him again. I kind of remember thinking, why is he in here? Like, why did we have to watch this horrible scene? Like, why, why is this character still around? And then obviously he's going to come back. And it turns out he's like the linchpin character that seals the fate of De Niro because he comes back to kill that guy. But I feel like the only reason they threw in that other scene of him killing the child prostitute is to make you root Robert De Niro you want to see that guy killed yeah but I don't think it wasn't necessary like it just wasn't necessary in the whole film at all because like you already know Al Pacino has more than one case going on because he's a detective he gets called to a thing there's a homicide he goes right and I think this was supposed to show he's got other things to look at as well yeah it was connected to the other case he's working on but it's, but the whole that whole scene wasn't necessary because it's not the first time we saw him being called out to go to something else. We just didn't follow him to that other thing, right? Um, he could have been called. He could have been called out to that murder, 
and it could still have been really bad and, and distressing without that scene before to show her getting killed. Like it just yeah. wasn't necessary. I, I would have cut it out if I was the editor. I hated yeah. that scene. And like, and by the time the guy shows up at the end, you already know there's something wrong about it with him. Yeah. Um, and when he shows back up the et- at the end and he's all like greasy and smarmy and he's like, I'll get you the guy, blah, 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 blah. You already hate him. You didn't yeah. you didn't need all that other stuff. He doesn't need to kill a child prostitute for us to hate him. Yeah, like and especially the fact that they made it a child prostitute yeah. was also very, very unnecessary. Right. It, it could have been. Very... Yeah, it could have been a drug dealer on the corner. Yeah. It could have been a properly aged prostitute. I'm not saying to kill anybody. But what I'm saying is, is that they they tried their best to make it as horrible as possible. Yeah. But it wasn't necessary in the context. It was it was. Over the top horrible. The only yeah. the only other reason I can see why they included that scene and made it a child is because of so when she's dead and horribly found in a trash can and you know and then the mom is there on the scene mm-hmm. and Al Pacino then intercepts the mom from you know trying to get to her child who is looking awful and dead on the road mm-hmm. um, and he just sort of embraces her and tries to comfort her and you know. The only reason I, I, so it's a nice scene for him to show that he's got some empathy and, you know, he's trying to help this woman. And then I thought later when Natalie Portman tries to kill herself and then his wife, who's the mom of Natalie Portman is crying and he sort of comforts her in the same way. And it's sort of a callback to when he was doing that for this other woman. And I thought maybe that was a scene where he's thinking about how if he's not around more, his child could end up like, I, I don't know. I, it seemed like it was a bit of a parallel. So I thought it was there so that it was, it would remind him of that other time he comforted a woman for a dead child. And maybe this time now it's his family and, mm-hmm. and he, you know, maybe he realizes he should be around more and he shouldn't leave her alone so much. But then literally in that scene in the hospital, he gets a call and he leaves her. Like yeah. <laughs> he's, he's literally apologizing for not being around too much. And the daughter is probably partly feeling abandoned because she's always trying to get his attention and shows up mm-hmm. on the street or whatever. And now she's tried to kill herself. She's Her life is hanging in the balance and she's in the hospital and his wife is devastated. This is like of all the fa- family moments like that you have the right to call in and say you can't come to your job is now. Yeah. And he leaves to go on his job. Like, I know his wife says, no, no, it's okay. You can go. But, she's but at the same time, that, she's, you're conditioned to say it. It's, it's true. You are conditioned to say that because you, you are feeling bad, but you also don't want to pressure the other person. And it's your ha- and it's his habit and your habit to just let him go. Yeah. And in this moment, when your child is dying, potentially, and you're devastated, your husband has to be there for you. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. And for the child, it's ridiculous that he'd just go to work. Yeah, and they, the fact that they showed him running down the stairs, yeah. he, does, he doesn't look back. He's not, like, He's you not know, concerned. questioning his decision yeah. or anything. No, he fully just he runs down the stairs. He wants to leave. And that is, yeah. that is somewhat that. But see, that sort of is also intentional, I think, because of, and we should talk about this diner scene, but, like, he and Robert De Niro, the movie sort of showing how, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship between cops and bad guys. guys that, yeah. 
they both give each other purpose in life in a way like well it's i i think it's supposed to show that they live the same life they they are focused on the job they will drop everybody in 30 seconds to go do something and i and i think that's what it's supposed to show um but before we get to the the diner scene i just want to say I, as I said, I'm not a fan of gangster flicks and stuff. So I haven't seen a lot of Al Pacino. And I got to say, I do not understand why he's held up to such high esteem because he is the he is the worst in this movie every scene he is in he takes me out of the film and i think this is one of the reasons why i don't like it is because as soon as he starts talking or his he's bug-eyed and waving his hands in the air i am just like go away there's no subtlety to you there is no nuance you're not acting you're just being loud and obnoxious it's true frustrated me I actually had kind of a similar reaction. I had the same note. Like, I mean, that's sort of what he's known for a little bit, but it's so, it almost looks like a self parody. It looks like a parody of himself. Mm-hmm. When he's like, she's got a great ass. And then he's yeah. like, yeah, totally. Yeah. His expression, his hands, like it seems so over the top. It doesn't seem like anybody talks that way except mm-hmm. Al Pacino in a movie. And, um, you know, I mean, I saw the movie Scent of a Woman that I think he, Maybe, did he win something for that? I can't remember, but... I, I think he was nominated. Yeah. And he was in... Um, I've seen a bunch of his movies. Like, mm-hmm. And he does he does sort of overreact sometimes. But, I mean, if you look at him in the context of his work, like, he is a pretty good actor. Like, he's got this sort of, you know, he's not trying to be attractive. He's just kind of this gruff kind of... Yeah, it has. I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with his actual physical looks. That's my problem. Um, it's. It's. It, he. He comes across like even at that point in time, he is twenty years into his career, and in this film, he is outacted by everybody, and it's distracting. You know, like he he comes across as like a new person who's on the cusp of being good, but he's not there so. yet. I don't think so. But I mean, I think he he's just sort of playing Al Pacino a bit. But mm-hmm. I don't I didn't mind it. I mean, I did find that like that line that I just sort of yelled out. Like there are some a couple. Well, he does the outbursts. It just it doesn't seem realistic. It mm-hmm. seems like it's an Al Pacino kind of moment. But I think otherwise, like I think he kind of got across being sort of haggard, kind of troubled sort of haunted like those are things that he likes to do i don't know i think from the first scene you see him making out in bed with his wife which is one of the most unattractive scenes i've ever seen in my life i'm just (laughs) like oh my god and then he shows up at the the robbery of the um the armored truck and he gets out of the car he's walking around and his his arms are out like he's like a like a a duck about to fly away and you know he's like he's like this man over here has been shot twice blah, blah, blah. and i was just like the fuck are you doing like you're just and like the the two-bit actor who's standing in the background and says one word over here sir did a better job than you did like you're just saying that because that guy has been acting more natural more naturalistic well, I think it's, that's I not know. what Al Pacino does, right? Like, he kind of gives you this bigger-than-life kind of performance sometimes. Yeah, but. but I mean, like, Eddie Murphy does that. And honestly, yeah. Eddie Murphy does it better than he does. Like, he does. You know, like, it, it was just... The way he did it in the film that he did it in, it just did not fit. 
you know, and it just it just did not work for me in any yeah. way, shape, or form. And anytime he I, opened his mouth, I was just like, I'm out of it. I thought he was fine, except for when he would do those really big proclamations like that. Mm-hmm. Like um, otherwise I, I bought him. I thought he was good. I thought he was fine. I mean, and it's sort of like he's kind of hilarious. So you guys like, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Like kind of like that in, in the car. Like, I mean, it it is a little, but you know, you kind of that it, I mean, it could be one of the faults of the film, I guess, that he's, you know, it's Al Pacino, this movie star that does roles like this. Like, you you know you're watching that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But that, that's, that's part of it. Like, I don't think, it, it's not a case where, oh, the actor just disappears into the character. I forgot I was watching Al Pacino. Like, that's not the kind of review that this mm-hmm. performance would get. It's, oh, definitely not, no. It's yeah. very much like, you know, a, a big role, big showy role for him. Mm-hmm. But that's why, like, the, the diner, though, like, I feel like, so this whole, I think they've been in other movies together, but, like, in this movie, you have these two very kind of, you know, big personality, big name classic actors, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, kind of on these parallel plots, and, you know, one is trying to catch the other, they're both kind of doing their own thing and tracking with their own people, and one of the things is, like, you never see them interact, right, like, it's, it'd be interesting to see. And I thought it was a cool way in a way to have them sort of always kind of evade well, one evading the other and the other missing the other. until finally he actually invites him to coffee and then they're in a diner together. Yeah. I like the fact that there was so much buildup that you actually kind of anticipate, Ooh, how's this going to go? And I think that the scene is actually very effective. Like it's, it's, I think, but I have one huge problem with it, but I mean, the dialogue I thought was really good, sort of, it's like a thesis. It's kind of spelling out what the movie's about, how they're mm-hmm. both very similar, how they realize they're both very similar, how they're not going to let the other person get away, and they're respecting that the person is, not that they've met, they respect it, but they're still going to kill each other if they don't walk away. Like, they're, you know, kind of posturing, but showing us the thesis of this movie. But the one thing that bothered me and I actually Googled it because I was like, why would they do this? And there's articles about this very thing. So I was, I'm not, I'm clearly not the only one that, so you get these two huge actors, you get them in a scene together, intense dialogue, mm-hmm. and you never cut, you never cut to a scene with the two of them together where you can see their faces. The okay. entire scene was cutting between over the shoulder shots. Yes. So you would always see one of their faces and then the back of the head of the other. And then you cut to the back of the head of that first person and then the other person's face. So really it felt like they were trying to cheat it because it felt like maybe they couldn't get them together. And so they just had a stand in with a wig or a stand in that looked with the same hair because you can't only see the, and then just filmed both sides of the dialogue and then edited them together. And I hate that thought when you have two you know, great actors, you want to have a scene where they're together doing fireworks. Why, why would you make it look like you just stitched it together because you never had any footage of them actually side by side. And so I Googled it just to see if that's what happened. And it turns out there's a whole article where they, the director, Michael Mann, actually says he shot, he had three cameras for that scene and they were together. He had one camera behind, um, like over the shoulder of De Niro and one camera over the shoulder of Pacino. Um, so those cameras would only film the face of the person opposite and the back of the head. And then the third camera was sort of the establishing shot, which mm-hmm. would show them in table on a ta- at a table together, both of their faces. And he filmed it with all three cameras. So he could have cut 
to some of the establishing shots. And he said he didn't because he felt that it ruined the, the rhythm of the scene and the intensity of the scene that they were such great actors. They were really, they, you could really see them reacting to the other person's lines and they were really riffing off each other. And he said that the energy drained out when he cut to a establishing shot of the two of them. And I don't know, I mean, I haven't seen that footage and maybe he's right. I mean, the, I, when I Googled that scene, I got a lot of articles about that classic diner scene, everything you wanted to know about that class. Like it, it seems to be revered as a very respected scene. And it's largely because it has these two great actors in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some of the articles did remark, why didn't you ever show them together side by side? And that's his answer. And I have to say, why couldn't you have at least started the scene with the establishing shot? Yeah, as like, you were explaining you that. Something, why couldn't yeah. you just show them? Like, it seems like a weird choice and I, I disagree with that choice. Yeah, as soon as you were explaining that, I was just like, then don't cut in the middle, cut at the beginning or the end. Like when they stop talking, yeah. both of them staring in each other's eyes, you know, like, yeah. like that's it. Um, yeah, and I, like, I understand why that's a revered scene, but again, I really had a problem with Al Pacino. I did, because there was such a nuance and subtlety um, with, um, with Robert, Robert De Niro. Like, I just, I just found, like, his ability was just so good. And then Al Pacino was, again, with his expressions, with the, like, even though he wasn't screaming and yelling, it was just such a... I just it just came across kind of forced, you know, and he was just out acted like it was just I think if he was in a film with like a like worse like actors at the same level or worse, I don't think I would have noticed. I've been like, oh, he's fine. Right. But I just find he was out acted in the scene. And again, it was like the intensity was there, especially like beforehand, you know, when he's getting out of the car and he puts the gun in the back and then he's in his car and he like puts the gun under his leg. You're just like, oh, there's going to be a shootout right now. And there's like, they're going to get coffee. What? You know, and then the coffee scene happens and you're just like, the intensity is there. The buildup is there. But then Al Pacino is just not good enough for it. He isn't. And I don't agree. I think he did a good job. I thought I thought he was compelling in that, but I think it's just a, a matter of taste, I guess. Like he, mm. you don't care for his style of acting. I don't. It, it seems like because I did not enjoy it. I mean, like, I mean, you had a few relatively outlandish people in this. Like Danny Trejo was in there. He is. He does B movies. He does crazy things, or he does very mm. intense things. And even in this, a big dude with. Scars on his face, covered in tattoos, being a tough guy. And I was just like, he's got range. You know, like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, he's good. He's, he's yeah. good. He's in there, you know. You know, Hank Azaria with all his, his weirdness. Yeah. The guy from the guy from Las Vegas, you know. He's supposed to be ridiculous, but he does it. He, and he fits in there. Like, he, yeah. he does it well. Jeremy Piven freaking shows up. I couldn't believe that Jeremy Piven was in there. <laughs> I saw him, I was just like... Jeremy Pivot? Why is Jeremy? He's not, he's not even credited in the star. Like he was just a nobody. It's yeah, like- at that point, I mean, to- there's the part in the the bar with Tone Loke. Tone yeah. Loke is a rapper with a bad voice who can't act. But even in that scene, I was just like, you're being much more subtle than Al Pacino. I was just like, well, Al Pacino's not subtle. You just have to kind of accept his yeah his way. 
But, yeah, but even in that scene, I was like, Tone looks do it better than you guys. Oh. <laughs> I hate Al Pacino so much. <laughs> Apparently I do. <laughs> um, but the, the movie was just, it was, I, I think because I kept getting pulled out of it, it just felt longer and longer and longer and it started annoying me, you know? Right. And like, even at the, the scene where, you know, Natalie Portman tries to kill herself, I was just and and they're at the hospital. She's like, oh, I don't I don't understand why she would try to do this. I'm like, your parents that are ignoring her and fighting over each other and her stepfather <laughs> wants nothing to do with her. And she is a child. Yeah. Of course, she's that, was a, that was a stupid. Like, I agree. That was a stupid line. Like, why would she do this? It was yeah. like, duh. I mean, you know, she's trouble. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's almost inevitable that she would do this. Yeah, it's even not- even the first time you meet her and she's like I want the blue earrings or something. You know, she's freaking out. And she's freaking now. out and crying and the most he's, she's like oh we'll find it it's okay. I'm like you haven't figured out there's something wrong with your child at this point <laughs> and then the next time you see you you're out to dinner having a party you know, drinking with your friends and then you're inviting random dudes over to have an affair with to make your husband jealous and your child is nowhere to be seen and you're confused as to what's going on? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're pretty terrible parents. They're very terrible parents, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was like, like, the thing is, is that his character cares for this girl, obviously. He cares what happens to her. He cares for her, but... He cares about the job more. And, and we know this, but her mother is there as well, who cares more about herself than her daughter or her husband's job. And is just blowing it for no reason. Yeah. No, no I reason. So I- like, I mean, like the part where she picks her up on the side of the street, she's like, your father's supposed to pick you up. Oh, I just like sitting here. Why isn't the mother like, why, where's my child? That was a weird scene, but it, it's sort of meant to show that that family is completely broken. Yeah, yeah. And and they are. They, they really are. Um, and, like, to me, it's surprising because he's obviously been doing this job for a long time. He married her. She married him, I should say. While he was doing this job, why is she surprised? Like, I never understand why they're surprised. I, like, I was surprised that they were actually, yeah. I mean, kind of sort of to your point, I was sort of surprised when I found out that they were married because it seemed like, you know, maybe this is a girlfriend. Like, why would he have married her? Why would she have married him? Mm-hmm. Like, it's his third wife. It's not like, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's not like he was optimistic and young and didn't realize how much he loved his job. Yeah. He had two wives before that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, but not not just that. It's like, it's not like they got married and then he got the job and then he changed. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying, though. I mean, he already... We, we surmise, we don't see them getting together, but he's had that job for a long time and he had two marriages that didn't work out. Why would he have bothered to marry this woman mm-hmm. knowing that he loves his job so much? And then it's like sort of, he breaks up with her later to say, you know, I just love this job too much. Like nothing has changed, right? Like it seems like why would he have not made that that realization earlier? It, just, okay. it, it seemed, it, it would have seemed more believable if he hadn't married her but maybe in real life that's what happened like because this was based on a real story maybe that guy did marry three women and that was the last relationship he had i don't know well it it might be one of those things where they had been together for a while she's like why aren't we getting married they got married and then she's like oh it's not going to change after we get married 
Right. I don't I don't think some people I don't think understand how marriage works. It doesn't change a person just because you're married. You, you just get a, a yeah, you, you're marrying the person for who they are, right? I know this is still a relatively new concept, but you're marrying them for who they are. It's <laughs> you're supposed marrying to them because you love them the way they are, not for yeah. who you want to change them to. to be. Yeah, and then people are just like, you've never changed. You're like, why did you expect me to change? Or <laughs> the other one is, you've changed. You're like, yeah, because <laughs> I things have happened, so I've evolved. And yeah. then people are just like, oh my God, you know? I mean, it's human nature, right? Humans do change sometimes they don't change so every human you just it's, it's a commitment right you marry someone because you're committed to that person you love that person and you're willing to evolve your lives together mm-hmm. yeah so. and some people evolve at different rates and whatever and I, I mean i'm not saying people don't give it a shot and try to stay together or i'm not saying that maybe things come out later on that you didn't know about before sure. yes yeah but in the case of this film it seems like everything was on the <laughs> table And again, you're just like, but why did you do this? It doesn't, it's making no sense. It doesn't like his his character did not seem to change very much over the course of the movie. So it doesn't seem like there's any reason to believe he's changed since before the movie. It just seems like he's set in his ways and this is the way he is. Mm. So one other thing about the movie that I thought was a little odd and like, you know, do you know who Dennis Habert is? He's that, um, he was the character in the movie that's his actor name, and I know him from a TV show. I can't remember what it was. He's like the president or something. But oh, the um, black guy, yes, yeah, okay. the black guy. Um, but in he this was a, movie, sorry, he was the president in Twenty Four, and he does the Allstate commercials. Thank you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there for me. Yeah. That's who he is. So you know, you totally know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, when they showed his character, and he's like this ex-con, and he's taking this crappy job in a restaurant, and his supportive girlfriend is there and saying, you know, this is the way they, they had a few scenes with him and he didn't seem connected to anybody. Like, why is he here? What's the purpose of him? Like, why is he, like, it's, it feels like another movie. And I, I, and at that point I didn't know how the payoff was going to be for that child prostitute killer guy. So when they, so we'd see a scene with that guy and then we'd see, him, see a scene with Dennis Haber. And it's like, there's already enough characters in here. I feel like these are different movies. Like, why are we wasting time? on the plate of this ex-con in this crappy diner. Like mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or any of their stories. Like, cause there's already quite a few characters, right? Cause Robert De Niro has a whole crew and we follow Val Kilmer. We follow the other guy a little bit. Right. And then, mm-hmm. and Al Pacino has a family and a daughter. Like there's, it's those two characters already have orbits around them. Why throw in completely unrelated characters to care about? And so I was waiting for that to pay off. And then eventually I guess it pay, it's supposed to pay off because it turns out Robert De Niro recognizes Dennis Haber's character. And coincidentally, the day he goes into the diner, sees Dennis there, his driver can't make it. So now Dennis can step in. And so, so he does. And then he's killed. He's killed trying to drive away. I don't know if there's a reason for him to be there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, because they just, they introduce a character in a couple of scenes. He's trying to make his way. And then he meets Robert De Niro and then he dies in the heist. I don't, I don't, and I, I don't think there was any impact to Robert De Niro. Like, I don't think he was sad about it. I don't think it, it was a oh, moment. Oh no, for- they, they dropped him real quick. They were just like, yeah, okay, he's dead, but I've, yeah, yeah. They're gone. So yeah. what's the point of him? I, that is a very good question. I mean. Like that literally did not need to be there. That entire character arc did not need to be there because well, I think- his, driver, his driver didn't have to have been held up. His like, driver could have just made it to the lunch and 
died and there. Did, and he could have died there. Or if they wanted him to die in that other way, he could have survived the heist and then still got murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but I mean, they had a driver. Like, why create an entire arc for another character to replace the driver in one scene and then die? In that same scene. Well, I think the thing with Michael Mann movies is that they're all character studies, essentially. And they're long. They're, I mean, boring is a strong word. Some of the characters are more interesting than others <laughs> and whatever. Boring is um, a strong word. But no, I, like, like, don't get me wrong. I don't, I like, I... I enjoy about like a few of Michael Mann's movies. Yes. Um, But I find a lot of them seem to just be a little bit plotting because they, they're not, they're not about growth. They're not about, you know, bigger changing or anything. It's literally just, Hey, here's a guy and he does some stuff. This is his day. Like, this is literally what it's about. And I think in this movie, you're like, oh, we're going to throw this guy in here because we need this guy to be over here. But he's not going to just throw somebody in. It's a character study. You have to know who he is, where he came from, what he's doing. So as soon as you meet him, he's fresh out of prison. He's getting his first job because somebody's doing him a favor. He's got somebody who loves him and believes in him and just wants him to get past this and get on with his life. And you see him and he's like, I, this is what I want to do. I want to get on with my life. I want to be good. I want to... I want to move forward, right? And he does that. He sets all that up pretty well in two scenes. But like you said, when I was watching, I was just like, what's the point of this guy? Like, like, why are we doing this? And then, you know, you see him. He's already frustrated because he meets the the owner of the restaurant who's an asshole to him automatically. Um, And then so you're already like, oh, I feel sorry for that guy. He's going to have a- I know. He has such a bad shake. Yeah. And then, um, and then when he, but you have to see that for him to understand why he agrees to do it in the first place. Right. Right. So then when he's just like, fuck you, I'm out. You're just like, you're kind of like, yeah. Yeah. And he likes it. It's a a little success arc, but then he dies. And then he dies right away. (laughs) And you're just like, but why did, why was all of this necessary? Because Michael Mann is an artist. Okay. okay. He likes the, he does the that's palette it. of human condition. Yes, and that's that's all it is. It's, it's right. like all of this is necessary so you can understand the pain, the agony that people go through, and I have to show you this certain aspect of life. You know, getting out of prison is difficult. Um, Robert De Niro's character refuses to go back to jail. This is why. You right. know, like it's it's one of those. And, and Robert De Niro leaves a pain of wake or a wake of pain mm-hmm. and he's yeah. like responsible for ruining lives and he doesn't care like it's you know yeah. but well, I, yeah i think it's also supposed to show that crime doesn't pay it was just like because it doesn't like despite the start of the movie kind of glorifying the robberies and stuff it's supposed i think it's supposed to show that in the end it doesn't pay because it it takes this huge toll on 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 your life and everybody around you you know so yeah it's all it's all of that stuff that makes sense it just sort of felt like unnecessary but i guess that yeah. was sort of the point it was just more color to the well that's why the movie's three hours long and it doesn't need to be yeah. there's a <laughs> bunch of stuff in there that's just not necessary it did not need to it did yeah. not need to be three hours long it's, yeah 
Yeah. Like Tommy came on downstairs at one point and says, I feel like you've been watching this movie all night long. And I was like, kind of have. I yeah. Literally have been watching this movie all night long. <laughs> Well, because even like the whole thing with um, Al Pacino and his wife, like you, we figure even before she sleeps with somebody else, we figured out they have marital problems. That scene was just extra. Like it was just extra. But I think it was supposed to separate them so that it's supposed to show the daughter doesn't love the mother as much as she loves the stepfather that's why she chose there to kill herself instead of at home quote unquote and blah 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 and also their house was weird right yes it was weird (laughs) I I, like every time they walked into that space I was just like I don't understand what I'm looking at right now this (laughs) makes no sense it was weird (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but and it's funny that they actually make he makes a comment in that scene when the the guy is relaxing on his couch about like it's like the ex-husband postmodernistic blah 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 house or whatever yeah. and i was like okay it's not just me who thinks it's weird he just puts up with it okay that's fine it was weird i mean it was yeah yeah it's this weird tiny house with like swirly glass and weird shapes on tiny stairs and uh, i don't know it was was a a weird house i couldn't quite figure it out either (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know i mean it's too bad you didn't like it i mean because i've been watching a lot of crime shows lately anyway so it kind of fit right in there like i watched Mm -hmm. a lot of british crime shows and things and i thought this was pretty good i thought it was pretty grippy and i i did really enjoy it except for the things that i mentioned where i thought there were sort of needless side characters kind of thing but mm-hmm. i thought the ending was very suspenseful like i knew it wasn't going to end well um for dear old robert de niro but i mean mm. his whole de- decision to come back to the hotel and kill the guy like satisfying to watch him kill that scumbag he deserved it, it. Sort of satisfying to sort of see him evade capture but and all these people in the in the but there are two things at the end i did like the end too i thought it was suspenseful i liked that it ends with you know, De Niro and Pacino kind of cat and mousing each other in this mm-hmm. airport. And, you know, I, you know, and I didn't really know exactly how it was going to end because I started thinking, you know, they could kill each other or, you know, like maybe he'll get away with it or whatever. But um, I did think it was a bit stupid of that woman, like the girlfriend who, oh was my God, yes. She had no idea who he was. And then she finds out he's like this massive criminal and the police are looking for him and he's killed people and he's robbed a bank and, he wants to stop at this hotel. Like she decides to go with him anyway. I guess that's another character thing where it's just she loved him and she's kind of rootless, so she's just going to accept him. I also but don't understand. Sorry, I don't understand why she loved him. According to the movie, they've been together for like two weeks. Like it makes I don't. No sense. She's sort of lonely. She doesn't like it there. She just moved there for work. She doesn't know anybody. She's trying to talk to people in diners, and you know, mm. and she's obviously quite poor because she's trying to make things work and. Here's this guy with this truly stunning view of the city and his house is gorgeous. And Oh, no, that was her house, not his house. That was her house. It was not. Yeah, they said she said it was a slightly dilapidated house, but it has a great view. That was her house. That was her house. Yeah, his house is the is the house that was empty that Val Kilmer was sleeping on the floor of. That's his house. That was her house. Holy shit. That's crazy that she could afford that. Right? That was a, that was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe she's not. Anyway, I don't know. What <laughs> but, but then, so anyway, 
you just what if you can accept that she's in love with Robert De Niro is willing to accept that she's on the lam with a criminal. Um, it made no sense to me that she's processed this. She knows who he is. Now she's waiting mysteriously in the car for him to do some sort of deed at the hotel. And soon after he goes in there, all the police show up. Everybody's running out. There's sirens everywhere, cops everywhere. Clearly he's done something bad. Yeah. Um, and I thought she was going to leave, but then she's just sitting there. And when he finally comes out, she's sort of shocked. I guess that moment is to sort of illustrate what he's been saying the whole movie. You have to be willing to just walk away. If you see the heat coming around the corner, you can't have any commitments. You need to be able to walk away from anything in 30 seconds to save yourself. And so he chooses himself over this girlfriend and walks away. Yeah. But she seems all shocked and disappointed. Meanwhile, if you're the girlfriend of a criminal and now the police are after him and he's on the run and you're literally sitting in the car with cops all around you, why would you expect your boyfriend to just come over to you and say hello? Exactly. He's still going to be running away. Like <laughs> she, like that, her reaction to him leaving her as if she's so hurt, like how could you do this? when there's cops everywhere and she knows who he is seemed ridiculous. Well, I absolutely agree because, well, even before we get to that part, she is sitting at the back of a hotel in a car that is running because he told her to keep it running. Um, <laughs> all of the, amb- the, the fire trucks and police show up. People are streaming out and you have this woman sitting in a passenger seat in a running car, just looking around and not a single person went up to the cargo excuse me ma'am what are you doing at the back of a hotel yeah no Why one. are you not a single person until al pacino shows up looks over sees the crowd magically parts and, and she she's sees sitting, a car. sitting in a car and she's like "Ooh, that's where he's going and walks that way and I'm like, i also don't understand what? how he knew that he was there with that girl who's one of you know thousands of people and she's in a car yeah. How would you know that that honestly, Robert De Niro would be stupid to be that obvious to have a car, a getaway car waiting for him in the middle of mm-hmm. all the stuff happening. Like, why would the cop know that that was his car? Well, and that's the thing, because no, like if you watch the movie, nobody knows about her except for Robert De Niro's character, because the cops never followed him over there. Uh, she never introduced the friends to her or took them over there or mentioned her in any way, shape or form. Yeah. So nobody knows about her except no. for him. So it makes no sense for him to look over and be like, oh, it's got to be that chick who's looking confused in the car, even though there's sirens and craziness and people going on. She's confused because she's got to be looking for Robert De Niro. You're like, what it's ridiculous it's ri- yeah. and the other thing is when robert de niro disappears into the crowd there's no way al pacino would find him like <laughs> there's hundreds of people running around and it's the open city like there's yeah. he can go in any direction yeah how he finds him so quickly makes no ha- sense makes no sense how he knows exactly mm-hmm. how he ran into an airport that was completely empty no one saw him no one like they don't even have any oh i think he went that way like there's nothing Al Pacino just somehow finds himself on the exact same path. Follows him through an abandoned airport into an abandoned airfield. Like, how did he do that? It doesn't, and then- It doesn't make sense. So many times he kind of looks around, doesn't know which way he went. It was exactly the right direction. Yeah. It made no sense. Maybe he's wearing really heavy cologne. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. Because that's the exact same thought I had because 
he's running through the crowd and he loses sight of him. Dude has gone over a fence into an airport. And then he's he's magically they don't show him going over the fence and checking to see if anybody's running or anything. He's just magically on the other side of the fence after he takes a shotgun from another cop for some reason. Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, but how did you he, he's in a field? How did you how did you make it there? That doesn't make any sense. It didn't you know? make any sense. I I mean, I appreciated the scene when they were there together because like, I liked the way it was shot and I thought it was interesting with the lights and the shadows and how that played into it and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I did find it tense, but I kept thinking, this makes no sense. Like, yeah, how yeah. on earth did he follow him there? Because unless he's like a bloodhound or something, like he, yeah. there's nothing for him to know. They could have done it another way where they could have shown that Al Pacino keeps seeing a bit of him. They could have... Mm-hmm. But they didn't. But yeah, and, they, it, like they should have edited it uh, slightly better than that. Yeah. yeah, it just it just seemed unrealistic. Yeah, and I and I think it's it's moments like that throughout the movie that pull me out of the movie, which made it frustrating for me. And yeah. you, what you're saying is true. Like there are really good scenes in it. There's good acting. There's there's like there. Are, it's a good concept of a film, right? But there are definitely quite a few scenes in there where you're just like, that doesn't make sense. Or what, what is that guy doing? Or like, what? Like, you're, you're just, it's just, it just pulls you out. And then you've lost the suspense. You've lost the drama. And you're just like, then you slowly get back into it. And then another scene where it does that again. And you're just like, oh, and how long have I been watching? It's only been 25 minutes. Oh, I've been here for a year, you know? So yeah, that was that was my problem with watching this one. Like uh, I don't know, it's like I, I wanted to like it. Like I said, I was hopeful watching both of these movies that I'll be like, okay, it's been a while. Let me watch it, and I'll find joy in these films. And it just did not work out that it's way. It's too bad. I mean, I, I obviously liked it more than you. Like I. I, I acknowledge that there's these issues that I thought were kind of stupid and things I didn't quite get, like scenes that I thought were unnecessary, characters unnecessary, but I kind of bought into the sort of overall vibe of the whole thing. Cause mm-hmm. I was, you know, well, let's see where this goes. And I liked Robert De Niro's character. I wanted him to sort of survive. I liked sort of the cat and mouse. I, I liked the movie. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I think, mm. I think now that we're talking about it, I'm sort of thinking about it more. I'm thinking, yeah, that doesn't really make sense. But yeah. um, when I watched it though, I did really like it. And yeah, I, un- like I understand why it's acclaimed, especially for the time it came out in, because it's, it's, a, it's, it's pretty epic, you know, yeah. like, especially with like that um, whole, the, the bank scene with like the gunfire and the running around and the back and the forth and you're seeing the intensity on both sides of it and, and all that kind of stuff like I get it you know and especially with the cast that's in the film and you know even the people who weren't big actors when the film came out all became like big actors so they're really recognizable and you can see why they became bigger film like bigger in films because they are good even in these small roles and you're like, all right, like, do more for me, please. Thank you. It's true. It's totally, yeah. I, I feel like it was a really cool film to, to just the, because of all those actors in it. It was kind mm-hmm. of a fun, like it, it's something that you wouldn't get when you're watching it. Just all the people that became famous later. It's, it's you know, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. Uh, I don't know. I, I would say, I don't know I'm going to rush to watch it again right away, but I, 
you know, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Like I was not sorry to watch. I, just, I thought it was a bit long, but I mean, three hours. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a bit too long, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. it was an interesting double bill with Harry Potter because they couldn't be more different. Yeah, they are very different. Like in their, their, t- well, I mean, one's the Everything. wizards and one's bank robbers. Yeah, it's very yeah. different, you know, um, unless, unless we get like a Michael Mann film about wizard bank robbers <laughs> you know who break into hogwarts exactly i would watch that. i would watch that yes. i'd watch that yeah i would watch um that. wait wasn't that kind of um uh uh, uh magical beasts and where to find them then they have to break into somewhere and steal something actually that is true i did watch those movies and i think they take place in new york and they're one of them did yeah. I don't know if there's a huge heist, but it's more similar, but yeah. All right. Yeah. That was one of the other ones I watched. And to be honest, when the ads for that movie came out, I was actually excited. I'm like, you know what? This actually looks like it's going to be good. I will. I actively said, I will go watch this movie you watch with you guys. It? Did you watch it? The first one. Yes. And no. Oh, no. no. I really liked the first one. It was I thought it was really- awful. No. They they wasted all of the, the acting talent in that movie. The the score was really weird and very it was missing is is half the problem with it. And I was just like, I don't know, like it, I, I was very disappointed. That's too bad. And you don't even like Harry Potter. I, I liked I really liked that first one. Um, and then the second one I did not like. It's the yeah. first movie in that whole Wizarding World kind of series that I did not like. Yeah, you're not the first person to tell me that. Yeah. It's yeah. such an obvious kind of allegory for Trump or that kind of thing and, and or whoever it was at the time, but it's just awful that it's like, it's, it's just, it's not, a, I don't, I don't think it was a very good movie, but I mean, I think that franchise is now really troubled because, you know, Johnny Depp is very problematic. Yep. And the guy, what's his name? The guy that's the, it turns out he's the guy that turns into the monster, the boy that we think it's the girl, but. It oh, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. Now he's very problematic. Why? What's happened with Ezra Miller? He's been doing, he's like beat up girls or abused girls. Oh like my he's God. Very, he's had all sorts of, yeah. Like he's been, <sighs> so you've got those two plus mm-hmm. AK Rowling oh, has been writing these things. And, you know, we've talked about that. Like, yeah. so you've got three main people <laughs> involved yeah. in the series that are all being canceled. So I don't know. And also the second movie did not do well. But they're going ahead. They're going to do it. But yeah, don't... well, don't they have, like, three of those, like, theme parks now? You know? Where... Like, yeah, there's Universal. They have, like, there's two Harry Potter worlds at Universal and Islands of Adventure. And they have them all over the world, I think, at some of the other Universal parks. And they and have the... great. It's great. And they just open some rides. Like, they have the Hagrid's ride. And they're fun. Like, I really enjoy going there. Yeah. But it's the world again, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it will survive in some way. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that like it, that there's nostalgia. I just don't know. I mean, eventually, like, these movies are quite old now. Like, you know, it's it's a little bit remarkable how much they've persevered, given how old they are now, mm-hmm. um, with no new kind of chapters, really. But right. I, think, um, I think with any um, good franchise... It 
the age of the films doesn't matter. Like, I mean, look at Back to the Future. One was the last yeah. one of those movies made. People still love that shit, it's a including great myself, That's a right? Great yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and and even if you think about like Star Wars, how long it took for them to continue oh, but, that. But Star Wars is um, kind it, of a, no, that's different. Its like it's a yeah. huge, and, mm. and they also have put so much on it. There's been movies coming out recently. Like there's been yeah. whole trilogies, right? Like that's in current, that is a current series, I yeah. think. Well, well I, was, I was actually going to correct myself because as well, they, in between that time, they had cartoons and they had books. And they continue, yeah. yeah. And those so, cartoons are like, canon or whatever like they actually connect mm. to the bigger stories so yeah they've done a lot of they've done a lot world not, building sorry not star wars um no they're actually... you know, they keep there's always rumors that they're going to reboot harry potter they're going to make a harry potter series they're going to make a harry potter this or that and it just has not happened so i don't yeah. know i don't i don't think they need to do that i i'm like despite the love of all of these franchises and all this kind of stuff. Can we get something new? That'd be great. Instead yeah. of rebooting stuff and changing stuff or whatever. Don't get me wrong. I am one of those people who will watch all of it. Yeah. And then either be really mad or really happy or <laughs> not, like indifferent about it, which is kind of all of the emotions, whatever. But also I'm at the point where I'm just like, can you just make something new? I think it's harder and harder though to make anything new that has a budget because there's so little return now unless you have a huge built-in audience, right? Mm -hmm. So and movies, it's not like before where you could make all sorts of mid-budget movies and they'd all do well because the pandemic has killed movie going. Yeah. And even big but even big blockbusters, like they're struggling to make a fraction of what they would have made in normal times. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if we'll ever get back to a point where movies are as successful because it's now a hybrid of, you know, Black Widow will premiere in movies, but you'll also be able to see it on Disney plus and all yeah. these other movies came out, but you could also see them on whatever streaming service they're on. So yeah. if that's the case, like from what I read, like the streaming model does not make enough money to justify ma making huge budget blockbusters, right? Like yeah. in the past you'd spend, you know, a hundred thousand, a hundred million dollars. And then, $150 million. And then all these reports, oh, this is the most expensive movie ever made. It's $200 million. And it costs all of that. But then they would make $800 million worldwide, right? Mm -hmm. They would make a billion dollars, some of them, if they crossed that. Like, you know, the upside was massive for these blockbuster movies. So that's why the movies became bigger and bigger and the push was bigger and bigger. And, you know, we would see all these movies that will make over $800 million worldwide. Yeah. Right? But my thing but is now, that. But now, yeah. Just to finish that thought, yeah. but now that whole global marketplace is not there. You can't make $800 million because the theaters are closed. Mm -hmm. And when they start opening up again, I don't know if everybody's going to go back to them because probably a lot of people have just gotten used to this new habit of watching TV on streaming when it's more convenient. You don't have to get a sitter if you have kids. You don't have to spend all this time. You just watch it on your TV, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no clear answer as to whether we'll ever get back to these glory days of massive box office. And so the blockbuster itself might be in danger in some way because they, you can't afford them anymore. They don't make sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. But like, but even when I say something new, I don't necessarily mean a blockbuster, right? Like it, I don't think, I, I think right now, don't get me wrong. I love Marvel. I love DC. Like I love superheroes. I love, I love King Kong. I love shit blowing up, whatever. Right. Great. Yeah. 
But at the same time, you don't need, you know, You're all that big budget movies though. Like that's they've been dead from previously the pandemic. Like people haven't made like a, you know, you remember back in the day you could make a $50 million movie. It was a romantic comedy and it would be a force at the box office, right? It would mm. make $125 million at the box office or it would open like, you know, you could make a mid budget, you could make a drama. If you can go back to the seventies, you can make a drama about divorce called Kramer versus Kramer. And it would yeah, make a it... box office hit. Yeah. Like those times are over. People don't pay a lot of money to go see movies that are dramas or even comedies anymore because they watch them on Netflix or some streamer. Mm-hmm. Romantic comedies were completely dead until Rom- until Netflix started programming them like new ones, right? Like Yeah, but hold up. But movies. were they were they dead because companies started focusing on blockbusters instead of these mid-budget yes. movies? Yes, they were. So, but maybe what the pro- like I think it's the chicken or the egg thing where people are just like they don't make money but they don't make money because you don't advertise them, but I, they don't make money. So I'm not going to advertise them. And I think also- that's the problem because that happens to me all the time where I'm just like, I heard they were going to make this movie. Oh, it came out three years ago. I never saw an ad for it. Then I finally get to watch it. Right. Because well, they won't spend money on something that I don't think is going to make money, but also the habits of moviegoers were such that movie, like the movie experience going to theaters would get more and more expensive. Like it used to be quite, you know, very cheap. But then over the last couple of decades, you've got, like, I think there used to be like, it was like $2 Tuesdays. And then it was like mm-hmm. $5 Tuesdays and then yeah. $7 Tuesdays. And then I can't remember where it went, but now a movie ticket is like closer to $15 or $20, depending yeah. on where you go. And if you have like, you know, that's a family of four, that's a lot of money. And then all the snacks are very expensive. If you have to park, you know, like it's just in general, like I'm not talking about cities where people can just walk out of their condos and go to a movie. Mm. Like, I mean, the majority of the country is driving to movie theaters. They're not all living downtown. Um, so there's a lot of costs. And I just, I, re- I remember reading articles about the high cost of movies and then the quick turnaround window. That was a big issue. Remember theaters had issues about how quickly movies were going to DVD or how quickly movies were made available in other formats. And mm. it kept shrinking, but then they started realizing that they were making more money with home viewing and some movies became hits at home. So yeah. the theater, theatrical window started shrinking, the, the exclusive window started shrinking. Theaters were making less money, the movies were getting more expensive. So the, the box office for some of the biggest hits were more than before, they kept breaking records. But then you'd read all these articles saying, well, that's because of inflation and that's because of the price of movie tickets. But the number of tickets sold is far less than the movies in the eighties or nineties when movies mm. were cheaper. And that's why these movies look like they're making more, but they were in fact making more because they were charging more money. Right. Like, so they found a way to keep the business alive, but eventually that kind of topped out where it was like, the movies are so expensive. People didn't feel like it was worth it to spend what it costs to go out to the night of the movies, unless they were getting a big blockbuster in return. Yeah, I'm not paying $25 to see a movie. I'm sorry. I love movies. I love the theater. But every once in a while, they're like, oh, let's go to a VIP. Let's do this. You're like, it's $30 a ticket. Go fuck yourself. Like, I'm not doing it. But they add 3D and IMAX and all things you can't get at home. Like, that's why all those things became a thing because, or were promoted, because that is an experience that most people can't have at home unless they have a home theater, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to pay anywhere near $30 a ticket to see you know, a domestic drama or a romantic comedy that's just sort of set in interiors. Like, you know, you're not because that's too expensive. You'll wait to see it. And that's why Netflix picked up the mantle of romantic comedies. 
and dramas like like Marriage Story, all these Oscar movies, they're just on Netflix now. Yeah. Like streamers are the new theaters. Like there's all, all sorts of new movies with name actors or whatever um, being released on streamers and people are not paying for them. And it's just, it, that's why, like, but the, the amount of money that you will make on this movie, it now has to be just what the streamer will pay you for it because yes. you're not getting box office. There's no sky's the limit kind of upside. Yeah, you're not getting like per play or, or no. like that. It's yeah. just, you know, the streamers have a lot of money, but that's all you're going to get. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's less incentive and there's less ability to make movies yeah. at all that aren't in certain. So that's why, I mean, the romantic comedies, I think they look just as good now as some of the ones that we've seen before. And they're, they're made for probably less money. They don't have huge stars. The whole movie star kind of ecosystem has kind of died. Like yeah. there was a time where you put one, a certain star and their name and you make a huge amount of money, but people don't care. Like now celebrities are like, they're, they're like real people like on TikTok and YouTube mm-hmm. and whatever. And like people that I won't even know, but they apparently are celebrities because they have, you know, millions and millions of followers. Yeah. So, and, and the people that used to spend money, like kids, teenagers, they don't care about movie stars. They only care about, people that are on there like I've talked to a lot of people they're not super young but they say they don't like the movies they don't care about the movies they never cared about the movies and now yeah. more than ever right and now that we're in a pandemic and nobody could go to the movies it's only like older people like me that miss going to the movies like mm. a lot of people younger never were in the habit of going to movies like their normal was to just watch things on streamers and it's this has made no difference to them and so mm. when you know it was a huge disaster for the theaters when theaters are finally able to open I think you know, people will go, there'll be the novelty, they might go for a big one, but it's not going to be like, when I was a kid, it was like a weekly thing, we'd go to the movies, like it was like, we'd always go to the movies, and I don't think that's going to be a thing anymore. Yeah, Um, like for me, when the movie theaters open up, I will be going to the movies, Um, I will be, well, I know this is going to be cliche, whatever, but I promised my friend that I'd see, um, what is it, Uh, Godzilla versus Kong in the theater, so I have not seen it yet, even though it's available online. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I I plan to support theaters as long as their movie tickets are not stupid expensive. Like <laughs> like if it goes if it goes over like twenty bucks a ticket, I am not going. I'm sorry, that's just too much money to see a movie. Yeah. Um, no matter how much I love them. But at the same time, I am very much a moviegoer. I like the whole experience. I like I like walking in the, the the smell of popcorn and you know getting some snacks and getting in the comfy seats and the giant screen in front of you and like watching a movie. Like I like that whole whole thing. It's just it's just like you know it's kind of like going to a concert. It's you know yeah you have your CD at home yeah you have the music but it's the experience it's seeing them live and the other people oh around. concerts absolutely I mean I'm 100% with you I love going to movies like I said I always went to the movies and like you know when, when it's TIFF like movie festival like the film festival I will just take the week off of work and I'd spend my whole day every day in the theater watching like five mm-hmm. movies a day in the theaters I love it yeah. I love it I love it I love it like I will be back but I don't think I think I'm an outlier now. I don't think most people are like me. I think people don't care that much. Yeah, I'm already an outlier. I pay for cable. People are just like, what is wrong with you? I fucking <laughs> love TV. What do you want? You know, um, I like putting it like, but the thing is, is like things like Netflix and stuff are, are talking about, you know, people keep giving ideas like, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to pick something. Why don't you have like a thing that just plays they do now. Netflix has play something and it will just automatically choose something for you. 
Yeah, but no, not that. Like, they wanted a thing that just has stuff playing all the time, and you can put it on there and just plays different stuff, not just play something. And I was just like, but you're describing TV. That's TV. (laughs) And I was just like, this is why I like TV. I can put it on, things are on, things keep playing. And I don't really, yeah, I have to pick sometimes, but it's just pick a channel that you like and leave it on in the background. That's what I like about it. I actually read an article recently about Netflix and about how they spent years or a really long time developing this new thing that they have play something where when you turn on Netflix and you get that screen that has all the different accounts, like you can choose your name to like who's watching Netflix or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, under your name, it would have that button that says play something and then you press it and it will just automatically choose something because they wanted to get people that were having option paralysis and then just leaving Netflix altogether because they couldn't decide. They just wanted to through the research of their algorithms, when somebody presses play something, it will, play something that they think they will enjoy. But then when you watch it, it looks kind of like there's a bit of a curved kind of framing device, almost like an old fashioned TV set. And there's a little arrow on on the side. And if you press the arrow, it says play something else, it'll switch to another show. So it's almost like- It's just changing channels. It's like changing the channels. So they're trying to replicate that a bit. And when I was reading about how they came up with this new kind of feature, their inspiration was TV. They were saying, you know, what we love about ordinary TV is when you turn on the TV, you're already watching something. It turns on and it's in the middle of the show and you can just stop and watch it. And it can be very passive or you can choose to change the channel. But as soon as you turn on, you're in the experience. So they were going to say, when you turn on Netflix, they were gonna have you in the experience. They would just pick something for you. It would start playing. And as soon as you went to Netflix, something would be playing. But they said, that's too extreme. That would turn people off. So this was their sort of compromise through research that you would turn it on and instead of just starting playing, you can press the, you have the choice of press play something and it will just start something. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's interesting full circle kind of thought that, you know, they're going I to- just, I just have TV. I mean, I have Netflix too, but I got TV. You yeah. know? <laughs> we do too. We have like, we, we still have all the TV channels and then we also have Netflix. We have Amazon prime. We have Disney plus we have Apple mm-hmm. plus we have, yeah. we have everything. We have every single type of TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like I know, I know the streaming stuff was supposed to be like, get away from cable and, you know, restrictions and blah, blah, blah. But essentially you're just buying different cable packages and you know, you got like five of them, whatevs. So <laughs> it's it's uh no matter which way we do it it's it's all the same thing at this point in time but as a person who loves all of the content i absorb all the content yeah i like having all these options it is nice and i i like watching new things like when they have new stuff on the on the streamers but i also follow up with like the regular normal broadcast network tv shows i still Mm -hmm. watch those and i like i watch everything too yeah yeah i do Hmm. all right well, I guess right. we're, I know, I, I know I do the podcast because I like watching things, but we're talking about how people watch things now. I think it's a little meta at this point in time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, any last thoughts about these two movies? Um, not really. I mean, I think I, 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 I obviously enjoyed them more than you do. I, I really like Harry Potter movies and I, I liked watching this again and he had never seen before. So I enjoyed it, but I will say just that my takeaway was like, just by weird coincidence, like they both happen to be super long movies, like way longer than any other of the other movies we've discussed. So 
It was an investment. It was a lot of time. Yeah, both of these movies are definitely an investment. Whether you end up liking it or not, they're an investment. Be yeah. prepared. All yeah. I got to say. Uh, well, but, thank you so much for coming on this week. Very happy to be here. Thanks it, for inviting me again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. We always have a good discussion and we stay like yeah. deep in the films, but, you know, <laughs> go all over the place at the same time. It's a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Oh My Shelf, or you can send an email to ohmyshelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be talking about the weird and wonderful show, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Hope you'll be here to listen.